0: is Tom Chick. You're listening huh. to the Quarter to Three movie podcast, where this week we have seen Phase Seven. I am joined by Christian Mis- Misars- Uh It's Googler or Googlerini. Uh, whatever the fuck. <laughs> and Kelly Wan. Huh? <laughs> oh, do you oh. have a tagline for us? I need to cue you on the tagline. That's right, I forgot. And let me do that over again. And Kelly Wand, who has a tagline related to Phase 7 for us this week. Kelly Wand, is it in Spanish?
1: No. Okay, well, give us the English translation, then. Uh, civilization is the limitless multiplication of unnecessary necessities. Uh, it was by Mark Twain. And then his zombie wrote, a mine is a terrible thing to waste too much Thousand Island on.
0: <laughs> That's good. Can I can I suggest a tagline that would be good if it hadn't already been taken? Are you ready for this, Kelly Wand? Yeah. It all ends.
1: <laughs> oh. Yeah. Does it, though? It doesn't, though, I predict. Spoiler. Well, it's like my boss said, okay. Look, look, the time look. for questions. No, no,
0: no, no. no you hold, go. Yeah, hold the questions. No, uh, the before we get into spoilers... <laughs> Uh, Dingus, tell us a little bit about Phase Seven because I guarantee pretty much anyone listening to this podcast has no idea what the heck Phase Seven is because we sure didn't. By the way, we went in pretty much naked. Uh, <coughs> Dingus, tell us. For what, some of us, isn't every movie? What What is the What are the basics of this thing, Dingus? No spoilers. Uh, no information.
2: <laughs> no spoilers and no information. All right, this week we saw.
0: Very good, Dingus. Let's move on to the synopsis.
2: This week we saw right. Phase Seven. Sorry, I apologize. We saw Phase how Seven.
0: Spell, how do you spell that in Spanish?
2: Uh, well, the the other uh, name of the movie is Phase Seven.
0: Ah, it's, that's the Spanish name. Okay.
2: Yes, it's spelled Phase F A S E because in Spain they don't have Ps or H's. That's
0: racist. Uh, oh,
2: and right. the seven is spelled like the middle letter in in the movie Seven.
0: It's also not Spain. But go ahead.
2: Oh, i survive. mean, and uh it's a two thousand eleven Argentine thriller horror movie about a mm-hmm. group of folks quarantined inside their new apartment building. Mm-hmm. Uh the film was directed and written by Nicolas Goldbart and stars Daniel Handler, Yasmin, or Hasmin, I should say, uh, Stuart, uh Yayo Garidi, and Federico Lopi. Phase seven is rated R for strong bloody violence and mm. language. Mm-hmm.
1: Yes. What? Really? <laughs> it's in another language, though. Shouldn't Spanish movies all be rated G, since we don't know what they're saying? Well, the
2: language is is uh, printed language, and that counts.
1: That oh, is true children? children can read, Kelly Wand. How come it's uh, the Chinese, they have... You, you can learn to read it and write it, but then speaking it's differently. But in English, we all do that as one thing. Does that make them a more complex, subtle culture, or us just, uh, you know... You know, I think the movie stuff. Phase 7 actually has something to say about that. Nicely <laughs> <laughs> uh,
2: exactly oh. done. I like that.
0: Uh, uh, before uh, before we get into it with Kelly Wan's synopsis, Dingus, how, how did we come to this movie? What, what the heck is going on? And where can one find this movie? <laughs> um, how did we come to this movie?
2: Well, here's yeah. what happened. Last week, we... Uh, we floated, you know, before every podcast we float a couple of movies that we're going to see and, and we fight about them. Um, we had a couple of choices for movies we just had no idea about because the major uh, movie that was coming out this week, none of, none of us had any uh, desire to see and, and had not seen the prequel to it. So we looked at posters and we looked at people who directed the two movies that we wanted to see and we landed on Phase 7. And luckily, AMC Theatres we showing this particular movie, Phase 7, at 10 o'clock on Wednesday night all over the country for some reason that I could not figure out, but I think you figured out. And it, and Friday at midnight, and that was it. So uh, we ran to a 10 o'clock showing on a Wednesday night. So what do you know about where folks can actually see this thing? Or do right. we? We don't, do we? I, I don't know, and I was really nervous about us choosing to see it because it looked like we weren't going to get to a showing, and you were like, oh, come on. It'll be fine. Um, hmm.
0: So I have no that idea where like it's time. showing now, but we,
2: we we saw it in a theater on Wednesday night
0: at 10 p.m. And what, and, was, and, the, what was the turnout like for that, Dingus? Um, yeah.
2: I, it was a pretty robust crowd of five uh, people <laughs> for the beginning.
0: And how, how was it by the time the movie had ended? There was a strong showing of three by the end. At least. So what you're saying is more than half of the people stayed.
2: It was, it was over, I don't know what the percentage is on that, but I would say 75%. Uh,
0: taught, taught, wait, I just print. want to say, who taught you math? <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead, Kelly Wand. I had to get in my Kiss Kiss Bang Bang reference.
1: That was the director and his wife leaving in the middle. Oh! All right, before we uh, get into some of
0: that, and we'll get into some of that, because that was odd, and we want to talk about what they missed. Uh, Kelly Wand. I know this was a foreign language movie so this might make it more difficult for you but do you have a phase 7 synopsis for us this week?
1: Yeah, Tom.
0: <laughs> now, you don't sound very excited about it. What's going on there?
1: Nothing. Oh, okay. just don't want to eat your hopes up. Okay. Much. Um, well, what are we going to call it this week? Oh, phase seven. Phase sadness. All right, but the, came up, the title of the Final Destination movie synopsis will be Five Null Destination. <laughs> five you, Null Now, it. do you when you say that does it does it
0: hurt your tongue? Do you have to stretch your tongue out before you say that?
1: I practice on. Uh, oh, never mind. <laughs> Thank <Good>. God. <laughs> I can't you do pretty are music that early? <laughs> right,
0: you are you're, you're,
1: you're setting me up with tongue? comedy like two minutes in i know i know or we're open and heavy we're open and strong does that fast? hurt your mind to not do we're coming at everyone guns hot <laughs> oh <laughs> speaking of that um i forgot to cc you guys but george lucas wrote into the podcast and he wanted me to tell you guys that he thinks we talk about star wars too often now see
0: i well, i wouldn't have said anything about star wars this entire podcast until george lucas himself brought it up so I blame him this time. He's an enabler.
1: He really and a is. Jonah.
0: And mm. he's he's made himself a billionaire by being one. So damn him. Yeah. See,
1: you can be a billionaire with never mind. All right. Uh, phase <laughs> sevenness. Rock and roll this is the movie we saw and only we saw. Um, so this beardy Argentinian dude named huh? <coughs> Dingus is buying groceries with his wife Wendy at the Argentinian version of Vaughn's wands at 2 a.m. And it's desolate for a minute, but then everybody comes pouring in all at once, shooting guns and screaming Argentinian words for zombie, like chupa zombre. And Dingus goes to his wife, good thing I told all those people to make a left at 3rd Street or we'd still be at the back of this line, huh, honey? And she goes, stop saying that. And he's all, what, 3rd Street? And she goes, yeah, 3rd Street. Just wax little Geneva on the 3rd Street till we get home. So they drive home, and in the parking garage, they see their neighbor, Tom, who's taping this Wii controller to his Toyota sunroof and hooking it up to his GPS so he can play this new online driving MMO from his car while he drives around. And he's all, hey, Dingus, you coming over for shoot club later? Or are you playing the ball and chain card again as usual? And Dingus goes, uh, and farts a few times. And Tom's all, you still got that fart. And feels Dingus' ass cheek and makes a note in his iPad and goes, hmm, as I suspected. And then he types a colon forward slash. And Wendy's all, babe, your frozen dinner's getting warm. And he's all, yes, dear, one sec. And Tom goes, oh, try make it by three, because cath carts come over for Battlestar Galactica. And Dingus goes, oh, that TV show? And Tom goes, no, the board game. It's cooperative, so nobody wins. You got to roll dice to see how your fuel's doing but somebody might be a secret Cylon, too. It's kind of like Clue, but with dice and fuel and Cylons. Only Clueless. And Dingus is all, oh, it's not Galactica 1980? Meh. What's a dice? And Wendy goes, honey, I think the baby's coming. And Dingus is all, yeah, one sec, babe. And Tom's all, well, I got to go do a podcast about parking garages with Deslock. Nice meeting you again, Mrs. Masarsky's. (laughs) And Wendy's all, ew, yeah, you boys can play later when the rain gutters are done. So they go upstairs, and Wendy watches Price is Right and passes out after some wine. But this huge kablam wakes her up, and she gets up and goes to the living room, and Dingus shambles in wearing a red hazmat suit and coughing smoke and bleeding from his eyebrow and holding a paintball gun. And she screams and grabs a baseball bat and hits him on the head. And he's all, honey, it's me, and takes off the hat and coughs out some cordite. And she's all, I know. What have you two been up to this time? And he's all, "Uh, Tom was showing me how to string flash grenades across hallways because he has to do this podcast about hallways with Bruce. They said I could listen if I strung up all the hallways right. And she's all, well, can you boys try and keep it down? I have to get up at four to deliver a PowerPoint presentation at Goldman Sachs. And he's all, yes, dear. So she goes back to bed and sighs and pulls the covers up and goes, he means well, at least he's not the father. But then there's a crunch, and Dingus yellingly smashes through the ceiling above her head and falls on top of her in a geyser of plaster shrapnel. And they scream at each other, and finally she goes, what on earth? And Dingus goes, oh, me and Tom got in a paintball war with the landlord in the parking garage after he misquoted Einstein. He said three was sticks and stones. I think he's dead, honey. And she's all, what in the name of, and he goes, it's not what you're thinking, it's the government. They stapled some cellophane tarps to the doors. Tom says it's phase seven of Carmageddon. And she's all, Tom says, for the love of, and he's all, it's true, I saw the cellophane. They said they were just tenting our buildings for termites, but Tom says termites don't even exist. They're really called zerglings. He also said audiences were jeering at the dialogue in Return of the King. We have to drink the Kool-Aid, honey, and drive off with that Chinese couple in 4A. It's our child's only hope. Tom says, and she's all, baby, please let me go to sleep. This isn't funny anymore. And he's all, but but, Third Street. And uh, she slaps him, but then they make love. So she passes out again and sleeps like a rock because Dingus really wore her out is the red hazmat suit and when she wakes up again dingus is wearing a stormtrooper outfit and putting a viking helmet on her head and a lightning trident in her hand and helps her mount a trusty steed except that it's not a horse it's a human centipede composed of paul walker in front then casey affleck in the middle and then tom at the back and they're in a jousting arena and at the other end of the coliseum is some cg and he goes i'll explain later the end
0: wow uh i'm not quite sure how to follow that up uh (laughs) was something else kelly wand and i mean it when i say it, that was really, something else it really was something else <laughs> it was cool of you to cast me and dingus in the movie but i noticed you didn't have a part for yourself
1: i did originally but i thought it was getting too long which
0: which part were you were you the the son
1: <laughs> i was the guy with the hammer and uh all right i forget who the other guy was i would I like you to play i think
0: I think you're cut out to play the son who gets locked out, whose mother locks him out of the apartment when the guy with the shotgun's coming after Remember that part?
1: Yeah, I didn't understand that. Why'd she lock him out? Eh, you know, the apocalypse makes people do weird things. That's true. Unlike Carmageddon.
0: Uh, So, to just let folks know, what you've heard from Kelly Wand, that stuff isn't necessarily in the movie? Uh, (laughs) Necessarily. (laughs) Uh, Dingus, how would you explain Phase Seven to someone who has not seen it?
2: Uh, I would explain it as a. Um, didn't I already do this? As a, a group well, of
0: spoilers, yeah.
2: All right, uh, a, a young man and his uh, seven months pregnant wife go about go home after getting a bunch of groceries, and um, they get quarantined inside their new apartment building because of a widespreading virus and uh, the movie is basically about or supposedly about virus. You know, the movie is basically about them surviving with their neighbors or in spite of their neighbors because of this quarantine
0: so what let me put it this way to both of you gentlemen uh, what other movies did it remind you of kelly Wand, why don't you start off did this did this remind you of any other movies
1: it reminded me a lot of wreck obviously mm
0: hmm Minus um, zombies, of course. Dingus, now you throw one out. Uh, does
2: rec not count anymore now that he said
0: it? <laughs> Kelly called dibs on Wreck. Skyline. That ah, very good. Yeah, that's two to zero, Dingus. You're falling way behind. Oh. <laughs> Skyline okay. did try to do that, didn't it? It tried to be about, uh, you know, this movie is set. We have to in- stay here. Well, it's that I, contemporary I social structure of your neighbors in an apartment building. Uh, You know, that's sort of the immediate
1: setting, and Skyline tried to play with that, um, and that was a big part of Wreck. Um, There's also, like, Empire of the Sun, like, where they find the piano.
0: The Adrian Brody movie.
1: (laughs) Oh, yes.
0: Uh, is Is Rear Window like this?
1: What do you mean? Like what?
0: Rear Window's idea of, you know, trying to figure out what's going on with your neighbors. And uh, I haven't seen it enough. I was just trying to think of, of movies where that, that apartment building setting is a key part of the movie. Does Rear Window fit that pattern or am
1: I am I off? It's it, – Rear Window, it, it's his curiosity that winds up causing everything to happen. But in this movie, he's not that curious. He keeps getting knocks on the door and stuff. So he's sort of a passive character. Mm-hmm. Um so uh, Plus, he can't see what they're he can't see yeah. what the neighbors are doing. Like, we only see what he sees when he goes out.
0: Right. I meant more so from he, a, a setting per, perspective,
1: uh, just being confined to somewhere.
0: Yeah. That's that sort of, you know, this is the you and your immediate neighbors are going to be the subject of this drama. You know who you can trust, who you can't trust, who's doing what to whom. Uh, I don't know. I, I just uh I just wanted
1: to throw maybe Rear Window out there, but I haven't seen it. But Grace that. Kelly comes over and makes you sandwiches. But in this, I think
2: like... I think the thing about Rear, Rear Window is that he is looking at all of his neighbors in their tableau. And so he can see all of them and all that they're doing, and he's interpreting what he can see of what they're doing. And this movie is not being able to see everybody and having to figure it out by knocking on doors or feeling and talking right. to people and hearing things.
0: Uh, a couple of movies, too, as far as the subject of what's going on. It reminded me a bit of Carriers. Uh, this is not a zombie movie, believe it or not. Uh, Carriers is a great disease movie, but that's more like a road movie. Um, there is a zombie movie I've mentioned before that's now available on Netflix called uh, Rambach, and I don't know what that's German for. It means something in German. Uh, it has the subtitle Berlin Undead or I think it's variously also been called Siege of the Dead. But it's very much that, uh, you know, what if you were just doing something random and the end of the world comes about and you're locked in an apartment building with other people? In this case, it's one guy who's very mild-mannered. He's just come in this apartment building where his girlfriend has moved and they've broken up, and it's it's him dealing with the zombie apocalypse with the people who are already there. Uh, so it, it reminded me a bit of, the, of that setting. It also had, you know, Rambach is German, this being Argentinian gave it a very different flavor. Um there is another – go ahead, Kelly. Want it. Oh, go on. Uh, well, there's, a, there's another horror film uh, also now on Netflix called Salvage that I really like, which is a little similar in that it's not an apartment building, but it's a cul-de-sac. It's the end of a street, and something terrible has happened, and it may or may not be the end of the world, whatever, but it's about the neighbors sort of dealing with each other and – You know, you can't go out on the street, but you can look out your window at the house across the street. And, uh, you know, is there some way, you know, you could deal with the people in the duplex next to you? And uh, so I want to recommend Salvage and Rambach as examples of of horror movies that are kind of like uh, Phase 7. How about
2: The Mist? Does it remind you of The Mist?
0: Not really. Well, uh, similarly, I mean, The Mist is more like. Uh, I mean, yes, absolutely. I get what you're getting at, but there's a different dynamic when you just throw random people into a neutral place where they've all met than people having to deal with each other from their homes. Right. Uh, the mist is more of that, you know, we're, at, we're out in our everyday life and we have a siege. So, yeah, yeah, absolutely, Dingus. But uh, of course, the right? cool thing about this
2: dynamic is that it's, yeah. other than the home thing you're talking about, it it makes a point of saying it's a new apartment building, so they don't know each other the way people who've lived there for years might.
0: Ah, right, right. You know what? You know what that makes me think of, Dingus, is uh, right at your door. Yep, yep. That was, yeah, the, yeah. And I love what they did there. It's the new house, so they don't have their cable TV hooked up yet. So everything that they learn about is over just a battery-operated radio, which saves on, on the budget quite a bit.
2: Um, yeah, and I thought of that, too, uh, but the, the level of earnestness, the earnestness meter is quite different.
0: Talk about that. What's, what's wrong with what, – what, uh, is this a comedy
1: that's what I was going to say. I don't know that it's a horror movie, because
0: what's the horror? Did I call it a horror movie? If so, I, I, just, I misspoke, because I just I kind of agree. It's not really it, – it's a uh, – how about a survival – post-apocalyptic survival drama? Comedy. Comedy. It is very comic. Uh, yes. Now, what makes it a comedy?
2: Ooh, you, you, mo- you almost just coined a new phrase. Tromedy. 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 <laughs>
1: But Tom hates trauma, so it will annoy him.
2: Oh, in my in my mini my mini little bit, I did I did really I I called it a thriller horror uh, Argentine movie, um, but I don't know that
0: horror. And I went back and forth on the word horror. I don't think it really applies, even though there's some gore in it. I think it's horror. I mean, as far as like I'm pretty liberal with the definition of horror. This is a genre film, definitely a genre film. And if you look at It's so aware of its John Carpenter-esque roots, like an Assault Uh, on Precinct 13 kind of thing, and especially with the music. I mean, the music at times I was listening to, it totally sounded like one of those Carpenter soundtracks, and I think it owes a lot to these 80s sort of social horror movies. Um, I I think it
2: absolutely does, and that's why I thought – I thought you were for sure you were going to play Halloween at the beginning or something like that.
0: <laughs> well, then Dingus, you linked to the, one of the trailers and I've since seen a couple trailers for this. The trailers really play it up as a, a kind of a, uh, a splatter punk apocalypse movie. Uh, they're really trying to sell it that way.
1: It yeah. Kind of, and the poster, too.
0: What now? Wait, Dingus, you had mentioned the poster and Kelly, you're just not talking about. It. I, I have to say, I, I guess I've never seen the poster for this. What does it show?
1: It's just bloody red numeral and darkness and looks like a 30 wait 28 days later. Uh, oh,
0: so it is just selling it like is a is a horror movie.
1: Yeah, and the title smacks of horror too. Yes. Absolutely. It's not yes. the seventh phase of comedy.
2: <laughs> no, the the horror the, it shows uh, it shows yeah, I mean it shows horror, uh, horatia there with a with a knife. It shows uh, one of the suits. It shows, like, the wife in the background in, um, in profile. It shows a huge, uh, this gigantic apartment building behind. I mean, it looks really, it's really evocative of of some sort of, uh, you know, post-apocalyptic sort of feel. I mean, it's got a great poster, and that's what I, you know, before we went, I said I don't know anything about anybody involved, but the poster looks
0: nifty. You know, the timing for this strikes me as odd, because if I'm not mistaken, at the end of this month, uh, and it's it's Nick Frost and it's one of the Simon one of the guys who's worked with Simon Pegg and Nick Frost before. They're, they're releasing a movie called Attack the Block, which is some kind of alien invasion story told from the perspective of people who live, I, I think, in one block in, in London or or wherever. Uh, so to hear you describe that poster, Dingus, I'm thinking this, you know, that's kind of the the marketing angle for Attack the Block. Um, do you guys know about that movie? By any chance? No. Okay. No thing. Well uh so, so, dingus why would you? What what makes this movie like? What affects this movie's placement on the earnest meter that Kelly Wand just mentioned? Oh, he mentioned it. Who's used? Whoever used earnest meter? I thought that was yours, Kelly
1: Wand. Uh, it sounds like me, but it's Stingus, okay.
0: Uh Right at
2: your door takes itself very seriously, uh, and it, and it, it's very much. um You know, it's weird for me to say this because. We saw right at your door at Sundance, and um, I can't remember what year it was, uh, but you know it was a few years ago, and uh, and it's very much aware of its post nine eleven roots. You know, it's very much uh, there's a there's something going on in Los Angeles. There's some sort of attack, and uh, it's and it's very serious about that, and and it's it's going off of of what's gonna happen when the next major American city is attacked. And, um, and so the, it's a very serious family drama based on that, or a couple drama based on, on that sort of idea. And it's a thriller, uh, taking that seriously. And, and it's not that, that, uh, Phase 7 doesn't take that seriously. And it's certainly not that Phase 7 isn't aware of its post-9-11 roots. Now that I really think about it, of course. Um, but the way the characters interact is, is far different. And I don't even know if Ernest is the right way to put it, but I loved the tone of this movie. Uh And I don't know if it, part of it is because of the people I saw it with and how much I like to laugh with those people, but uh it's just got such a great understanding of of the absurdity of this level of thriller and horror. And, and I don't know if it... Uh, I mean, I just thought the tone was perfect, but you can laugh at this movie and you can't laugh at something like right at your door, right?
0: So that brings up two things I want to mention uh, about the tone and you calling it post 9/11. I would argue that I think more of what's going on here, and this was this was not intentionally part of post, uh, intentionally part of right at your door, but I think the timing was such that the director talked about it during the Q and A, if I'm not mistaken. But in a way, these movies feel to me more like post Katrina movies, in that they're all about how. If something terrible happens, you cannot count on the government to help you. Uh, The government will not be there, and the government might, in fact, fail you and and just leave you to your own devices. Uh, And I think there's even a little bit of that in in carriers. Um, But certainly the awareness of, you know, this idea of where you are when you find out something terrible has happened. You know, there's a great moment like that at the beginning of uh, Phase 7, Where they actually kind of miss the main warning signal and aren't even paying attention to it. And a couple of times, you know, that's, and I think that also sets up this comic tone is there's this young, self absorbed, and really precious couple. I love these two actors. And they're shopping and they miss the signs of the end of the world while they're shopping and driving home. And it's not until they get home and get a message from one of their parents. But, but I think all of us can relate to this idea of, you know, where were you when you found out this terrible thing happened? But as the movie goes on, I really feel there's a strong undercurrent of being about how the government will let you down and will fail you in the event of a disaster like this. Um, so, so I agree with you, I think it's on post 9-11, but I also would want to throw in there post Katrina. Now, the other thing I love about the tone of this, and Kelly Wand alluded to this, the main character is so not up to what you normally expect in this kind of movie. And I love that about him. Uh, He is not a traditional heroic character. And in a way, I wouldn't actually put it in this category, but it makes me think a little bit of Big Lebowski, which is a standard L.A. noir detective story. But the twist is, what if the guy who was detective actually couldn't care less about what was going on and wasn't quite up to to the genre. So it feels that way a little bit in phase seven is what if this post-apocalyptic hero really isn't quite up to the task of, of being a hero. And they 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 very carefully, you know, walk this line. You know, he, he's not necessarily a buffoon. He's kind of trying and he means well, uh, but he's really in over his head. Uh, and I love two little touches like they constantly show him picking his nose, which is not something that movie characters tend to do very often, and it's very unflattering and uh, ultimately, I think, kind of endearing that that he feels so real. So, so well, then you was- think
1: maybe that's a maybe it's a uh, red herring that oh he's he's getting the virus because he's picking his nose constantly.
0: Well, and he talks about his cough being nervous, right. uh, and yeah, and that's that is you know is that a, is he really sick? You know, does he have the disease or does he indeed have a nervous cough? And apparently, it turns out that yeah, he's just a guy who who coughs yeah. when he's nervous. Uh,
1: he, but even as ill prepared as he is, he's he makes it out, and all the better prepared people don't.
0: Well, yeah, that's that's an interesting point is there are, you know, the the crazy guy upstairs, Horatio, the older fellow who lives downstairs with the shotgun. um, Yeah, like I'm not sure that there's necessarily a message here, but it is odd that he makes it out with the Chinese family uh, Mm -hmm. who had kept their head low the entire time and made the wise decision not to interact with any of these
1: crazy people. Uh, is, Is there is there a point it's making there, you think, Kelly Wand? No, I think it just ends abruptly. That's one thing I don't like about it. Is I don't think it ends with a point. Um,
0: Do you I'm feel like they're the- trying to make a point with the the stuff about new world order and the and the guy upstairs playing George uh, the George Bush Senior's uh, address about a new world order? Do you feel like they were trying to make a point?
1: Yeah, that's too much point for me. <laughs> <laughs> Although uh, Big Lebowski Bridges was also always misquoting Bush too. It's odd that that the senior Bush is now the one we reference in movies. Like, oh, yeah. New World Order guy instead of junior.
0: Yeah. remember when we thought of him as a buffoon. Those
1: were the days. The senior. Yeah, <laughs> I know. I miss him now. Uh, did,
0: did, did you feel there there was uh, any sort of a larger point being made? Yeah. I well, mean, say it. Yeah. Go ahead.
2: That's why I bring up uh post nine eleven although I love your your post Katrina and the government will fail you um interpretation, which I really hadn't even thought about uh is you know because you hear September twelfth referenced more than once on that crazy um conspiracy tape that horaatio uh, Horatio um, gives to Coco for him to listen to, and you you hear this September twelfth and then of course you hear the obvious hammering home of it when you hear george h. w Bush saying that New World Order quote at the end again. And, uh, you know, I love what you mentioned a moment ago, Tom, how how the film opens with this this very precious, you're right, self-absorbed couple at the supermarket, and there's this burst of noise. I mean, I love how that whole opening is. It's, yeah. The film opens perfectly. It's just static on... Rows of of uh, cans and whatnot at a grocery, and then they meander over to the checkout, and then uh, you know they're you know, we already bought chocolate, and they're just arguing. You're always grumpy and stuff like that. And then this burst of noise as people run in, and they, they say, oh yeah, it's over there. And they're driving home, and there's people, shopping carts, and there's a car that's smashed into something. And um, and then they walk by Horatio in the in the garage, and he's like, <laughs> got his tank of a car, which you think is part of this whole thing because we're watching the background, and it isn't part of. This Whole thing, it's just something else, um, and and then even to where they watch the first newscast, and and it sort of impacts them, it doesn't, and then the, the the notice of the quarantine, which sort of impacts them, but does. They take everything so in stride, mm-hmm. and it just made me think about how the rest of the world, in places like Argentina, which has to deal with an economic crisis all the time, and partly because of of our standing in the world. It, it, it makes me think about how the rest of the world deals with American antics and and in some cases they deal harshly with them and in in a lot of cases they're like that's just America being America we're just gonna have to sit tight while they run around and blow things up uh,
1: that's good
0: it does seem i i it, it seems it very much uh, like it wants to make a point about how concerned we are about consumer goods and the luxuries of like a supermarket. You know, all those opening shots of the stuff on the shelves. The movie's obviously in love with the, the sort of the color and the spectacle of all of those things. There's a later shot where you know they're eating fruit. He's eating Fruit Loops, and and there's that close-up, luxurious shot of all these multicolored Fruit Loops with milk being poured over them, uh, and he's keeping track of how many Fruit Loops boxes of Fruit Loops are left. Um, there's there's this sense of you know, people are so reliant on these consumer goods like this. And what are you going to do when they run out? And even something as simple as light bulbs. You know, when we think about post-apocalypses, they're lucky enough to have the power going for a while. But it never occurred to me to think, you know what? If you don't have enough light bulbs, you're kind of screwed. Uh, and I love how this is a realization for, for them as well.
1: Um, but uh, well, He the, he gets that early on that she's in denial about it. About the light bulbs? About everything.
2: Well, he's taking inventory, and she's just like, he's like, we're in quarantine, and you don't know what that means. And she just thinks he's being lazy about not testing the first light bulb. I mean, her, she, her obliviousness to what's going on is a funny counterpoint to his dawning realization and trying to react to it in his way.
0: And it's part of why they're so cute together, too, just as a, as a couple, as a movie couple. They really work well together, and part of it is that tension, how they're very different styles uh and the thing is like normally we're trained when we see a movie like this to think that you know when something like this happens the hero knows to go into survival mode uh you know there's they're aware that they've got to stockpile food and he's got to get a shotgun and you know all these tough guy shenanigans start happening um and this really undermines that kind of template for these end of the world movies which i really liked uh that that approach to it I love the um, fact that they have to use a black light. You know, those, the, that, that's a great visual gag. Yeah. They run out of real light bulbs and they have to use the black light light bulbs.
2: Uh. Well, how do you guys feel about the... the? Um, you know, we haven't talked... We haven't necessarily laid out exactly how we all three feel about this. I mean, I, I quite loved it. Um, Tom, I think you see far more movies like this, so I'm not sure where you stand on it. And Kelly, I'm not. You seem to be a little more tempered because of how you feel about the ending. So before I, before I ask the question I'm about to ask, let me just uh, say I, I really loved it, um, and I'm not sure where the two of you stand exactly about how you feel about it, especially you, Tom, who've seen so many more of these types of movies than I have. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, I quite liked it. Yes, I, I I I thought it had some pacing problems. Uh, it felt kind of like a first-time filmmaker. There were ways it could have been This is such a vague term. I hate to use this, but I'm going to. There were ways it felt like it could have been tightened up. Um, but for the most part, I loved it. You know, that opening scene, for instance, as you described, Bingus, I cannot imagine an American movie opening like that. And <laughs> that's that's part of what's precious about going to see foreign films, about movies yes. that are made outside of the, the, the conventional studio system or even the American indie sensibility. You know, we talk about Sundance movies like that. The opening scenes of phase seven. It's just precious, you know. You 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 so rarely get something that just feels that fresh and unique and distinct. Uh, so I feel like it loses a little bit of steam by the time it's over. Unlike Kelly, I was really happy with how it ended, though.
1: Um, I was. I, I want whole TV too. Oh, go on. I'm sorry.
0: Well, I, I did want. I would have liked to have seen more with the neighbors, uh, and not just her Horacio. Horacio, that guy uh i would have liked to have known a little bit i would have liked them to have interacted a little bit more with the the different guys in the apartment building um they i think they they missed some
1: opportunities there but i was happy with the ending so go ahead kelly wand what, where would you there aren't that many neighbors either it seems a little neighbor light compared to wreck and quarantine um but i really want to see that character again i was i i really love that protagonist mm-hmm. Oh, i do <laughs> too yeah, yeah no matter how things were dragging in the movie like the shootout in the garage. I'm like, well, this can only end in one of two ways. It's You know, I I can I can nap here probably. <laughs> but, um, just uh, and the fact that he that he is tenacious. It's like he, he sort of he he bumbles his way to victory. Um, I don't know. I just want to see. Like yeah, I really like uh, foreign movies when you get to see parts of the world you don't get to see, like what their food looks like in the aisles, like their more colorful packaging
0: yeah, well did you notice that the mayonnaise was in these like squeeze packets like like, yeah. a, like a juice
1: uh bag kind of thing. why is that oh like... we have but that makes sense to, though too so it's like why don't we have that because it's gross i mean why is that gross <laughs> you know what, it's mayonnaise? just
0: white no but you it need it in a jar that's it Ew. you're a freak, wait wait wait, wait, wait. tell you live in argentina wait is it gross if it's mustard yes
1: yes Anything with it, so you're, what's the gross part squeezing it
0: condiments do not be- belong in those weird aluminum bags like like you have juice in that's just weird that's freaky
2: <laughs> unless you go to McDonald's and they give you a tiny one
0: yeah, but just that's just one tiny one shot thing you don't keep it around because a so you- amount. Once you've squeezed some of it out, it's open and it gets all gross in there and bacteria gets. That's just icky. That's unsanitary. Well, you don't keep
2: it.
1: You just <laughs> No, but you get oh, do it. a big bag yeah. of
0: it if you're buying it at the re- at the that's street market. So, that's I'm good. glad I've won you over to the, the correct way of life, Kelly Wand.
1: Well, can you seal it? Like is, does it have a ziplock opening?
0: Eh, I don't know. That's still gross. It's going to get schmutz along the top. But I I, I, want, uh, I, I want no part of those Argentinian condiment packages. Racist. <laughs>
1: Um, uh, but so, Kelly Wan, you didn't like the ending, you said. what? Uh, I, maybe part of it was I was bummed it was over a little bit. Like, okay. it, didn't, it just sort of ends when they leave. I mean, I'm, they have really no plan to get out of the city. Like, we don't know what happens after that. Do they make it? Do they die? The Chinese people. And the Chinese people were kind of a deus ex machina. I didn't like that as an <laughs>
0: <it>. <laughs> <laughs> They really were. And not only that, the shooting, uh, the, the way the film was shot, when the the, the Chinaman, that's not right, the the, the Chinese father... Comes out and shoots Horatio before he's going to kill our, our protagonist. Anytime you have someone shoot and then the film goes to like slow motion or a freeze frame, yeah. that technique is dead because I immediately start thinking of that um, that ooh what you say you know that 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 <laughs> gag thing that you do on Saturday Night Live. You cannot do that. When somebody gets shot, do not go to slow mo or a freeze frame because it looks it makes me think of that and it looks ridiculous.
2: Hey uh, Kelly, how do you spell yeah.
1: Martina? Oh, what's D-E-U-X? No, Machina. Oh. <laughs> machina, M-A-C-H-I-N-A?
2: Yeah. Deus Ex Ma
1: China.
2: China. See?
1: China. Ah. <laughs> oh, ho, dingus, well done.
2: <laughs> yeah. So what I did to ask you, fellas, was how you felt about that. That Deus Ex Machina and the fact that the guy who lives down the hall from him has every weapon under mankind and every condiment as well. I mean that kind of those are convenient things,
0: and I wondered how you guys felt about those two things i didn't i didn 't mind it because that's you want to you want to you stock your apartment building with mysteries and interesting people for a,
1: for a better movie but it didn 't stock it. It just threw out a couple of them
0: no it stocked it it had the the guy downstairs with the shotgun that 's another thing I was wondering by the way. you see like a British horror movie that nobody's got guns you know that's like not part of the equation i'm guessing uh you know, uh, not Venezuela. Argentina is a little different, maybe, because I was thinking as we were watching it, are we going to see a movie about a culture where there are no no guns? And I'm guessing that's not the case. So the guy downstairs had the shot, the double barrel shotgun. The guy upstairs had all that survival gear. You know, the Chinese family was hidden and they weren't coming out. Um, and it made me wonder why the two guys were like dealing with like one of them had a hammer as a weapon. Yeah. Uh, so I kind of like that that take on you know what's going to happen. When the end times come, if you're in a culture that doesn't have this crazy American fixation with guns. Uh, and I think we saw a little bit of that, but I wasn't quite clear on it. So when the when the punks drive up at the end, I forget, are they armed with guns? Yeah, at least one of them yeah. has a gun. Well, they, they, they definitely have them. Okay. Yeah. So I guess Argentina's got plenty of guns around. Well, you also have Coco, who
2: doesn't want anything to do with guns and doesn't know what the hell to do with them. I, I mean- love yeah. He's like, I'm not gonna shoot at anybody I'm not gonna kill anybody and he's like holding the gun and then I was like and then shoot them in the knees that whole thing. <laughs> yeah. I really like what you said about the beginning, Tom, because um it reminded me of the beginning of Wreck, which I watched I watched part of that tonight. And it takes a good fifteen minutes before we get to the attack in Wreck. And uh, there's that whole opening prolonged section of seven or eight minutes, which, again, you don't see in American films. And I'm curious because I haven't seen Quarantine, where it's just the reporter wandering around the station
0: and interviewing people. They do is, in quarantine. Quarantine is pretty much a straight up remake. But quarantine quarantine's terrible, though. There's no point watching it. Does it take that long? I'm pretty sure it does. Yeah. OK, I don't remember offhand, but it's not to be. Don't not because it understands pacing, but because it doesn't know any better than to just ape wreck. Uh, uh, what did you guys think of? Would you compare this at all to Blindness,
1: the uh, a Brazilian movie? I didn't see that movie because it sounded too creepy to watch a movie about blindness. Because like, if you start, if the image starts blurring, you start getting paranoid.
0: <laughs> okay, you should see it. It made my top ten that year. Dingus, I know you liked Blindness. Did you see any uh, continuity here? Uh, not
2: until you said that. I think tonally, the films are so different for me. I mean, Blindness is such a gut punch for me to think about, and I love the movie. Um, it's hard for me to line them up.
0: I'm thinking about you know you know how people react when all the social constructs constructs fall away right um you know who will you know once guns come out and once it becomes this you know once people start to mistrust each other and have to fight over scarce resources they touch on that a little bit here and i really liked the scene where the elderly gentleman who lives underneath him comes upstairs to borrow an adapter for his razor and coco the main character doesn't want to give it up uh but his wife is like of course we have it here borrow this uh and, and that's sort of the it's planting the seeds of who can you trust, how much can you trust them. It doesn't push this too far because we get into some fun goofy stuff about gunfights and stuff. Um, but when I saw that I was like, Oh, okay, is this going to be about them dealing with resources? And of course they loot the, the guy's apartment downstairs. Um, you, you know, there's a lot of this, you know, what happens to the social contract when there's no infrastructure left? And that's what I think blindness is, is largely concerned with.
2: You know, when you say that, it, it does call to mind the um, the meeting or the summit in the sauna with the yes. with the you know the with Coco and um, Horacio, and then uh, with the the two other guys, Longa and Gugliarini, and that that kid, uh, where they're all sort of talking about what are we going to do about uh, Zanuto, right?
0: Uh, And I love too this sense of an international. So I guess Guillerini was Italian. Like there's an Italian guy, there's the Chinese family. Uh, You know, for a lot of people, a lot of time I just thought, oh, I'm watching an Argentinian film, and I didn't quite appreciate some of those nuances. Of course, when the Chinese family makes an appearance, but the fact that the guy was Italian, they make jokes about it a couple of times, and it wouldn't even occur to me except when when one of the fellows can't even say his name correctly. Uh, so I like that sense of this sort of international melting pot place. Uh, things, do you remember Apartment Zero very well? Uh, barely. I mean, that's that's Hart Bochner. It's Hart Bochner, and it's another. Uh, I think it is Argentinian as well, uh, and it's again about an apartment building. Uh, you know, what? maybe it's Central America. Anyway, I forget. It's about it's about an apartment building. It has a lot more to do with American shenanigans because the serial killer. Uh, is linked to, I think, like the death squads in Nicaragua or something. There's more of a point about the politics of the 80s in Latin and Central America. But it also, I think, has that same feel of, you know, who are the different people in this apartment building? Who can you trust? Who can you not trust? Uh, I just thought of that a little bit.
1: Hey, Dingus, what are the last four letters of touch spell? (laughs) (laughs) Ooch. Yeah, (laughs) see? Gotcha.
0: Why did the two older guys, by the way, I love Kelly, Wan, you said you could take a nap during that gunfight. I loved that gunfight uh, for, for a couple of things for how the movie movie really is shot well and it loves lighting, which is cool. I like that about it when we have a gunfight set to the light of a single glow stick uh it was kind of in love with the scene, and maybe it did go on a little too long, I'll grant you that, but I really enjoyed it for these guys were just standing across the room from each other, <laughs> unable to hit anything. Yeah. Uh, you know, it didn't play it like, the shootout in, was a naked gun where the guys were shooting each other over the box. It wasn't quite that ridiculous, but it definitely had the sense that, you know, these guys are just in the dark, just blasting away, and, and it's innocuous enough by the time it's over, nobody's
1: been hit. Right. Uh, I was annoyed there wasn't a wide shot, though, so you actually see... Just how naked again it really is. Right, right. Uh-huh. So it just did in our heads. That's so the thing, too. It's like the, the upside of these uh, foreign movies is everything is less broad and more unpredictable. Mm-hmm. And kind of, so it's more exciting. But then it's also like they have, they'll do Deus Ex Machina's more. It's like, go, yeah, this will work. This will do. Because we've got that other great shot at the grocery store. So Tom will dig this ending. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, here's my deal with horror movies. I think the best
0: horror movies, not the best horror movies, but a common thing you see in horror movies is about a restructuring of the basic social unit.
1: Yeah.
0: You know, Basically, you have either a family or friends or apartment building or whatever. They go through some trauma, and what ultimately emerges is a newly created social unit or family. Uh, and that applies to, to zombie movies. That applies to, like, like for instance, uh, uh, Alexander Aja's uh, Hills Have Eyes remake. Um, it, that's just, you know, who's standing at the end? How do they relate to each other? What are they, they go off into the sunset. That's your new social unit. So I really appreciated that this movie was very aware of that. You know, it, it opens with the garage opening and sunlight being shown on a new Social unit, you know, Horatio's little daughter. And by the way, that's another thing. I wish we'd seen more of her. What what a precious little idea that he had a daughter in there the whole time. And Mm -hmm. and, you know, they I don't think they realized how powerful that could have been. So you know, it's this new. It's 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 the husband and wife and their baby, and it's the guy's little girl, and it's the Chinese family. You know, they're driving off into this whiteout, uh, and they're like the new social unit. Uh, so I I like that ending. I, I think that stuff is uh, that's just classic horror movie
1: stuff. And the dog. I just oh, don't forget the dog. Right, and the dog. Whose dog? What was that? Oh it's yeah, yeah, yeah that's right, that's it's right. The dog. Promise. That's, that's right. and I that, thought about that. Another thing I like it. And this I think this and zombie the only two I can think of that, the, that this had zombies and it's like nobody gets infected. None of no characters in the movie that we that we know from the beginning get infected. Horatio does.
2: Horatio does. That's why he does. Well, not why he dies, but that's why he uh, he wants the Christian gesture.
1: Uh, I thought he was dying because he had a bad ticker. <laughs>
0: Kelly, <Okay. laughs> one, did you leave with the other couple? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> why? So why did the two guys go off for a knife fight? I wasn't real clear on that.
1: Yeah, after that, all that speech, like, all right, let's work it out. All right, it's all worked out. I mean, Are I love go? the I love the exchange
0: about the Einstein quote, but why did they go off for a knife fight? Dingus help because out. Because it was a Kelly.
1: civilized way to do it. Or so there was some line about that. It was like an Obi Wan Kenobi line.
0: <laughs> so one of them is Masters. one of them is Darth Maul. The other is Qui Gon.
1: Yeah. And and Dingus is the hamster. Why is a lightsaber a civilized weapon if it's, it's, like, it's, it's because it's a, it's, elegant. Kind of laser.
2: it's elegant. You can't have both.
1: <laughs> but why isn't it against an elegance?
0: No, <laughs> guns are clumsy. Blasters yeah. are clumsy, Kelly Wand. Uh, Dingus, why did the two old guys have a knife
1: fight? Help us out here.
2: <laughs> because the guy who made this is an editor, and he thought that that would be cool. But
1: we didn't see it. We didn't see the knife fight. I know, but the
2: the, but wasn't I mean, the way that... I mean, Tom, you talked about how great this film is with light. Um, and just watching them be absorbed into that darkness, and then waiting and waiting and waiting... And then having Zenudo come back out and you, anybody who's seen this type of movie knows exactly what's going to happen. Right. But it's just, it's, yeah. you know, I don't, I'm interested to hear what you thought, Tom, cause you talked about the pacing problems, where the pacing problems, because I love moments like, I love that the gunfight went on as long as it did. And I love that it took so long for Zenudo to come back out and then stumble past. So I mean, I think it was just stylistic.
0: I did, and I think pacing problems are why we lost almost half of the audience. <laughs> it was really funny that that couple that was in there in the theater with us, so in case it's not clear, nobody was in the theater when we got there. There were the three of us. This was like a one-time engagement here in L.A. Uh, you know, they showed it at least one other time during the weekend. I don't know. The, we have an AM theaters, AMC theaters out here in L.A., and they're experimenting with some um, some sort of like independent uh, genre distribution, uh, with, a, with a studio. This was, this was, the studio that did that this was called. Data. Uh, the Collective and Bloody Disgusting. Bloody Disgusting is actually a horror website. So they've got together and they're distributing some independent horror films. Uh, great news is they're distributing Lucky McKee's next horror movie called The Woman. Uh, so that'll be a similar situation when it's released. And I think it's only AMC theaters. And I don't know how widespread they are. But whatever's going on, it's great that they're getting some exposure for these small films before they invariably go to DVD and, and, and find a wider audience. Uh, and for those of you listening... I'm imagining phase seven, you won't be able to find it until it's on DVD. Uh, so, in which case, actually, why are you listening? Because you haven't seen it and we've spoiled You're not, it. For no one's you. listening. Okay, good. Uh, you
1: know what was a bummer? But, I, was, but I just okay, wanted to say
0: real quick so it's only the three of us, and then another couple came in. And, you know, you ask where the pacing problems are, dingus, and I think it just takes a while to really reveal itself as far as what kind of movie it's going to be. So shortly before it really reveals itself and we have a gruesome shot of a head being blown away with a shotgun, and this is going to set the tone for the rest of the movie, it takes a while to get there. And it was literally Uh like a minute or so before that scene that the couple (laughs) who was in the theater with us got fed up and just walked out. Uh, Right before the best part. I, right before. I mean, and, you know, part of what made that so good is that it did take so long to get there. So, you know what? I what, what do I know? I I wouldn't have left. I was enjoying myself. I just think it could have been tightened up. Maybe it could have gotten some of that kind of energy earlier, in which case that headshot wouldn't have been quite so astonishing. Well, it so, was such a great why, set of
2: comic timing for us that this couple walks out yes. and it's like beat and then a guy's head gets blown apart, and we're like, if you guys had stayed 15 seconds. I mean, and, and those, those things are I, – I loved watching the couple sit there and play Electronic Battleship or whatever they were doing. I loved yes,
0: yes. them just yeah.
2: doing this while you're hearing sort of muffled gunshots or screams in the background, and they are oblivious because they're in a quarantine, and that's fine, and we're going to just play games. I mean, I loved that we took that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I liked, it's like the couple leaves, and then it's like the movie's telling us, okay, those squares are gone, now check this <laughs> shit. Boom! Head blown off. <laughs> Perfect. And seconds later.
0: Uh, Kelly one. what were the two characters' names? What did they call each other?
1: Navajo and Pocahontas? <laughs> You're close. It was Coco and Pee-Pee. <laughs> Coco's the dude, right? Coco's the dude, and Pee-Pee, I'm guessing. Pee-Pee's he- a woman's name.
0: it's probably Argentinian for sweetheart or darling, or I don't know what was going on there, but it it was kind of endearing.
1: Uh, They both had... Maybe that's how they met, though, because their names are are kind of the same syllable twice. His
0: his name was actually something like Martel, or Martinel, or... uh, His real name gets used at some point. I'm assuming that was like their pet name. Those were their pet names for each other. Dingus, you mentioned this movie was made by an editor. Is that true? I did not do any research into who did this movie. Yeah, um...
2: uh He's edited, uh, he, he primarily works as an editor. This is his first film, as you said, it looks like it. And he's worked on a bunch of projects with a bunch of the other people who are involved. And, and a couple things I'm curious about, like something called, uh, The Paranoids, which looks like some weird comedy. And I think something called The Bottom of the Ocean or The Bottom of the Sea. I don't remember what it was called. But he, he works primarily as an editor. Daniel Handler, the guy who plays Coco, who by the way, has Coco printed on the back of one of the jerseys he wears. And he has some <laughs> other cool T-shirts in this, but he, he has I Coco. About that. Um, was in a couple of those things that he's done. So, yeah, primarily an editor.
0: The Paranoid sounds familiar.
2: Have you ever heard um,
0: it seen, is and it? The, D, coming? the
2: DP worked on those things, too. So it's, it's, it's definitely sort of a let's get together and make this film now that we have a couple months off or something.
1: Right, right. Just uh, make a sequel to, the, to this movie. Would be my advice to that guy. Like, what happens next to this dude? Uh, I, yeah.
2: How do you guys feel about the passage of time in this movie?
0: It was a little unclear on it. It needed title yeah. cards. Monday. <laughs> How do you feel about that, Dinkus? What do you think of that? Six weeks card. later.
1: <laughs> Because there's no other indication of. Uh, well, they get to phase six the day five minutes into the movie. <laughs> That's true. So it does make a beeline to the
0: the eponymous phase seven. Right. Uh, Dingus, why do you ask? Did you? Because uh, I I, I kind of wished I'd known a little bit more about how long they'd been there.
2: Uh, I kind of felt that too. I mean, the the one stark representation of passage of time is, of course, his beard, and I mean the hair on his face. Um, <laughs> because it would take it would take weeks for me to do that to grow that beard and then he shaves it in the middle of his face you know to make that weird thomas jane i don't know what it is thing that he does
1: did yeah. you grow that beard that was an awesome fucking beard yeah cuz he doesn't do have it at the beginning i couldn't no, no. I, I, I couldn't grow that beard no way my hair doesn't get up that high
0: i was kind of wish i, I oh i do that yeah please no I, I would do that probably in i'd say 5 years i could maybe pull that off so if I were in that role and you saw that my facial hair became like that, you would know that I'd been there five
1: years. <laughs> That's why castaways always have those long beards, because their beards are like calendars. Right, exactly. So we know she's seven months pregnant, and
2: then he's able to grow this ah. beard. But the pregnancy never becomes sort of a point of of danger for the film, which I really appreciated just because of my I'm scared about kids and babies and whatnot. And there aren't really any kids until we see that little girl who never appears to be in any real danger as far as the film is concerned. Right. Um, so, so from the time he shaves initially till the end of the film, I don't have a real sense for what the, the time passing is, but I, I eventually became okay with that based on the overall nonchalance of The two main characters of the couple about this weird, of this quarantine. I mean, they, it's just so weird the way they take it in stride. The whole, when the group is called down to the lobby to be told this and the, and the plastic goes up and they're just standing there, like, yeah, there's 13 of us and a maid. Okay, see you guys later. Okay, hey, can, there doesn't seem that nobody freaks out. There's not, there's not that patented, oh no, you know, that there's nobody.
0: There's nothing hysterical the patented, Oh no, absolutely. Yeah. You're right, <laughs> Nobody freaks out. You know, it's just this calm and now we're going to attack Zenudo and Well, you know, Dingus, you're so right. Like I, I feel bad now for even saying something about the pacing because it's a huge part of what makes the movie special. And that, that scene where they take the movie takes the time to let us watch these, what is it, four or five people in the lobby try to count the people in the apartment building. <laughs> You know, they're thinking, well, how, do, how many are in your apartment? Well, does a maid count? Does, does she? I mean, that the fact, that's, that's, that's there's a fair amount of dialogue there, and they're just kind of standing there nonchalantly, you know, trying to figure out how many people live there under the blare of these lights. While the guys, the government agents, are out there in their hazmat suits with their trucks, that that scene would not work nearly as well if they tried to squeeze some of the air out of it. So, I take back what I said about pacing. You were right, Dingus.
1: Yeah, it's a lot of the comedy. Yeah. Yeah. And it's that guy's life, that's the speed at which he th- he sees life happening.
2: So. <laughs> There's but, also um, this great moment in the trailer that for me sets up a conspiracy theory for a possible sequel. And I think this is I don't think this happened in the actual movie, it's just part of the way the trailer was cut. And it's during that scene where they're putting plastic, but before they put the plastic over, Coco says, "Oh, my wife's pregnant." And then the government official like signals to somebody. Like his wife's pregnant, cover this building up. And so the idea for me is like, oh, the baby, that's going to be the problem in the sequel. <laughs> but that's just the trailer. Uh,
0: uh, what did you guys think of the action sequences? So because we get a lot of creeping around in the, in the stairway with guns, a lot of creeping around on the roof, uh, a lot of like creeping around in Zuto's apartment uh and some shooting out like okay i'll just actually throw this out there i love the gag about the mirror you know yeah. zuto seeing them in the mirror like that yeah that was a great little touch and you've seen stuff like that in other action movies but i just loved how it was used here in a kind of an unexpected and almost like playful way
1: yeah uh, you, I you crazy kids. Kids. you buffoons this is reaction. That's right, you clown. And they didn't see the mirror. They didn't see the mirror till he's already used it against them. Like, right. like, oh, yeah, this mirror. That, like, they could have used the mirror against him, but instead. Yes, What's exactly. great
2: is you get a sense for how, you know, you, there's no point of you shot, but you get a sense for how these suits are, are constricting them. Yes. I mean, there's, there's the fog in the suit, and, the, and there's in that same apartment, they're looking over, and when the girl comes in, they don't see her because they can't see peripherally the way we can. And it takes them a minute before they realize somebody else is in the room. And okay. I like the way that the the film kind of conveys that.
0: Yeah, and I don't I don't think hazmat suits have ever ever been quite so amusing. Yeah, <laughs> that, was, that was just so precious. Him playing yeah. with the light and wanting to show his life, and, and the fact yeah. that he got the the you know the colorful red one. Yeah,
2: <laughs> he turns on the light, and the guy's like, "Don't
1: that's not a yeah. toy." Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of a lot of the comedy is just like the way he sluggishly turns around and it. like it's so hard to move in. And I mean, of course, the epic hand gesture sequence is probably the best part of the movie. Was but that like,
0: what there was one point, Kelly? One, where go, I'm sorry, I cut you off. Go ahead. No,
1: no, go ahead. I was just well, gonna there's
0: one like point where that. I think Dingus and I were like giggling for five minutes straight, and I think you might have even given us a look like it's not that funny. Was it was it the hand gesture sequence?
1: That's pretty funny. Was it, was it maybe the stun bomb, the friendly fire stun no, bomb? No, that's funny, too. Okay. Don't I think really. I was just trying to pretend I was cooler than I was. was... <laughs> <laughs> well, I was I... Gonna, Go ahead. Uh, just, I was, when you, you guys were talking about the nonchalance uh, in the face of disaster, I remember when, uh, back in 2001, I was seeing Jeepers Creepers in this theater in Century City, and there was a huge earthquake in the middle of the movie. And everyone left. It was, like, right before Justin Long's supposed to go down into the uh, sewer thing, go into the—see the, what's down in the pit. And so it's, like, the earthquake happens. It's like, oh, so they evacuate us. they like, okay, it's over now. And I'm, like—and the friend I was with was, like, oh, dude, we gotta go. That's fuck this. We're in, we're in, you don't want to be in Century City. Fuck fucking earthquake. And— this, like, black dude from Chicago was, like, in the cross. He's like, fuck this. I can't believe you. you keep People live out here. Fuck this. So he leaves and I'm like, no, we got to see what's in the pit. I got to stay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't care if it means my life. I need to see, like, what's in this fucking pit just as long as it's down there. And so, like, an hour later they start the movie and then watching it afterwards, I'm like, nah, the earthquake was better.
0: Was so, better. Kelly one, you are the Coco of this movie in real life.
1: Yeah. Okay, nice. go back to what you were saying before. <laughs> uh, I got nothing. Uh, yeah. I, I don't, I ha- flash grenades. The flash grenades
0: were it. like, yeah, those those were great. Those were like, and I think I said to Dingus, those are like playing a shooter with friendly fire turned on. Yeah, yes, see. You set a flash grenade and... and Sure enough, someone like Dingus will walk right in front of it and set it off, even though you carefully place it, you know, you know the, the choke points where the flash grenades get placed. But if you have friendly fire on and you're playing with someone like Dingus, he's going to walk right in front of them, Not once, uh, but twice.
1: Yeah, if you tie this uh, fishing wire in a sheep shank, he, it won't be enough to set it off when they met uh, a tarpal. <laughs> yeah. Uh, How, about that?
0: Right.
2: How about that doctor early on? How about that cadaverous doctor?
0: I love that guy. That was great. I mean, again, that's you know, that's post Katrina. Here's what the government will send to help you. That's yeah, some yeah, total of government
1: contributions. That's right. He's They're not going to
2: send any water in or any supplies or light bulbs. They're just going to send a sick-looking like, guy
1: spreading like the has, Yeah. Who?
0: Yeah, that's right. And you find the poor guy dead later. Uh, that guy reminded me of the demonologist
1: in on Activity. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, by the way, this
2: this film. Uh, I don't know how this happens, but the executive producers had something to do with Paranormal Activity.
0: Oh, that's right. Wasn't that something in the trailer? In one of the trailers, they say, from? The somethings. The, something, something of the something paranormal. From the
1: Gaffers and
0: best boys <laughs> of Paranormal Activity. Very nice. Uh, you know what? I just love, I, I mean, uh, this is, I, I, I have to say, I think this is like genre filmmaking at its best, where you get something that, that is in a genre that's pretty well established, but it just has its own sense of, Tone and pace and style, and it's got good actors. Uh, So, this is why I watch so many crappy horror films because, you know, one time out of 20 or or one time out of 50, you know, I might stumble across something like this. So, I really like this, and I I look forward to it coming out on DVD so people can actually see it and then be listening to this
1: podcast. Now, you have only 49 to go to your next epiphany. Really? <laughs> well, you you refuse to make a beer joke, so what are we gonna do? Uh. Yeah, I totally want. <laughs> Wait, were we really done though? I didn't mean. I we did a good
0: hour on on phase seven. We did. You know, did we miss anything? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Plus we All have right.
1: today's three by three, which I guess there's know, not. We didn't not much arguing about anything.
0: Unfortunately, yeah, we didn't have, like, dingus. That media, was boring. So,
1: yeah. yeah, what can we say? That's why we shouldn't nice see movies dingus. together, because we all laugh. And we go, yeah, well, they're liking, because they're laughing. So now I like, won't be able to, like, nail them on
0: Well, I don't know. It th- I would have been really weird for me to see Horrible Bosses with you guys.
1: <laughs> I would have been very confused. Yeah, I also like that we said we were going to see this movie on the internets last week and it's there's only one showing of this week so it's also an indication of how popular we are that we were the only people in the audience even though we let everybody know
0: well the other thing we wanted to see salvation boulevard was also only at one i think it's only at one theater but at least i think it has multiple showings uh, so dingus phase seven isn't even it just had the the wednesday and the then the one weekend screening
2: uh, I haven't checked this week, so I don't know. Okay. But, I mean, it had, it had, yeah. It just was Wednesday night at ten, and it was a, in many, it was in another theater in Michigan, I think, on Thursday, and then Friday night at midnight in Burbank at the AMC, and it's all AMC's, as you said before. Right.
0: All right. Well, Phase Seven, hopefully coming to a theater near you soon. Otherwise, hope you enjoyed it on DVD. Uh, uh, Kelly, one, what is our three by three this week? I don't think you guys like this
1: one. Whatever. <laughs> oh. Well, I forget what I said, but I think I said three movies. Huh. Your bum don't exist. Is that it? It's
0: part that of works. what you said.
1: What, what else, else did you I say, Dingus? Yeah,
0: I don't fool well, myself.
2: I got confused. I spent the week thinking that it was just three movies that you're bummed don't exist. And so I was trying to think of things outside of any other existing movie or sequel or anything. Uh, and then after getting Tom's email today, I went back and listened and what Kelly actually said was you could go two ways with it. It's either movies that don't exist at all. It's just your idea. Or it's movies you're bummed that that didn't get Almost finished. Almost got made. Right. Almost got made. Yeah, Exactly.
0: I've got a little of both. So.
2: Which makes it which makes it considerably easier, because I was just thinking, well, great, I'm just going to be pitching my ideas, and anybody can take them.
1: Oh, that's right. Good point. Luckily, yeah. it's on the seven podcast, so no one will hear them. <laughs> uh,
0: Dingus, you're doing next week's 3x3. You're in- introducing the topic, so you start us off. What is your number three example of a movie <laughs> your bummed wasn't made?
2: Yeah. Um, <laughs> Kelly, do you uh, want to give any other caveats? Do you have any other retroactive caveats? Well, it's a little
1: late ideas? now, because the lists are made, so even if I say, all right, you can't have any... Uh, well, you did say no period films. Now.
2: That's right. And you, you, you're right, you did say silent films.
1: And all the physical gestures have to be non-faked. Tom. Trouble. <sighs> All right, my number
2: 3 is the only one of my 3 that's that is a film that um should have or could have been made was an actual real it has any connection to a real world film. Uh cuz I I decided I didn't want to make I didn't want to talk about books I wish would be adapted or or sequels I wish had been made that kind of thing. So um so, and that's, that's not, again, as Thomas said before, that's not a limitation you guys need to put on yourselves. I just decided not to do that for my own list. But the, the number three then is, uh, a, a film that, uh, is called or would have been called The Man Who Killed Don Quixote. Mm. Mm.
1: Yep. And so, we go ahead.
2: Then we wouldn't have, I know, then we wouldn't have Lost in La Mancha, sure, which yeah. is brilliant as well. Is that what you were going to say? Exactly um but it's, the thing is i i believe in a, in a perfect world um every film terry gilliam has ever wanted to make would have been made <laughs> um and furthermore furthermore and would make a ton of money and also i also <laughs> w- i want i want to think that there's a there's an alternate universe where Taylor, terry gilliam gets to make a movie without restriction for every movie michael bay makes in this universe uh and i want to i, I want to be able to visit that universe from time to time um so so um uh just briefly the the man who uh killed don quixote was a famous um disaster of of filmmaking uh for terry gilliam in that um he uh there was a flash flood that destroyed his location and and wrecked a bunch of the equipment and the the uh star or rather the lead of the film um Jean Rochefort was injured at the beginning of it, and so insurance had to pay all this money, and, and basically the insurance company took, took all the footage and owns it now. And, uh, and I, you know, because I just love, I, again, this was reinforced by watching the Imaginarium, Dr. Parnassus, uh, that Terry Gilliam just has such a brilliance about packing his camera with images that I would have loved to see what he could have come up with with, Don, with the Don Quixote film, but we can't.
1: It was also the weather was against him too. It Got rained out. they shot that stuff? Or did you did you say that? And I was I zoned out.
0: Well, I that's said where the blood But but that could have been anything. Uh, and yeah, I remember they had like NATO exercises. they were like jets flying overhead when they were trying yeah. to shoot. And uh, oh, that's
2: right. Yeah, and he was gonna just. He figured he just re-record the audio. Right.
1: Uh, See, and it's like he's the Don Quixote of this analogy and the thing. Oh, it's, it's like that, the movies, the windmill, and Gilliam and, and Sancho Panza's Johnny Depp, and he's also Tonto. <laughs>
0: well, that's what's great about uh, uh, the the documentary is it, it it's sort of it's clear there's layers within layers within layers of this story, and the the movie itself, and the the Don Quixote saga, and. Uh, I, I think I prefer What is it Man from La Mancha? What is the uh what is the documentary called Dingus? Lost in La Mancha. L- Lost in La Mancha, right. I think I prefer and who knows cuz we'll never see man who killed Don Quixote, but I I really like Lost in La Mancha and as much as it sucks all that stuff that happened to Terry Gilliam, it's it's just such an important piece of like my admiration for him, like what he's had to deal with. Uh, And it's it's this ongoing thing with him. You know Heath Ledger dying, uh, that horrible uh, Matt Damon Brothers Grimm thing that he did, uh, and how that was like a how much studio involvement he's had to fight all the way back to Brazil. I mean he's such a powerful figure in terms of the movies he makes and the stuff that's happened to him that I really think uh, the uh, Lost in La Mancha is 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 an important movie for anyone who likes Terry Gillian movies. So yeah, it sucks. We'll never see Man Who Killed Don Quixote, but I'll I'll take as a consolation prize Lost in La Mancha. I will too,
2: but I hate the idea because he does become uh, Terry Gilliam does become sort of a almost a tragic figure in filmmaking, yeah. and I hate I just hate to imagine um, the depth of heartbreak he must have experienced in doing this because uh, because getting a film to that point. Where you have film crews in Spain and then having it washed away, literally washed away by floods. Uh, I can't imagine it. And right. then to furthermore face, Anna, and certainly his, his grief for filmmaking doesn't match the grief of Heath Ledger's family. But again, sort of a tragic figure. So I, I feel for him. Yeah. I feel for that level of heartbreak.
0: And you have to think though that horrible Brothers Grimm thing. What came out of that is ultimately Tideland. You know, him wanting to do something smaller without stars, a smaller budget, a more contained shoot. You know, he got so fed up with what he had to deal with with Brothers Grimm. It's like, hey, you know, on a break, I'm going to go shoot this Tideland movie. And I think for those of us on a podcast, Tideland is is brilliant. You know, I love that we have Tideland. And if it meant him having to suffer through Brothers Grimm, you know, so be it. Uh, so.
1: Because you didn't have to do it. You didn't have to pick up all those uh, lights. Yeah, I just sit on my couch
0: and watch it. Yeah, Yeah. what do I care?
1: (laughs) Thanks, weather gods. Pingas
0: is much more uh, empathetic than I am.
2: Uh, No, but I appreciate Tideland, so I understand what you're saying.
0: All right, my number three, that's a good one, Dingus. I don't really have anything. This is my uh, just throwaway one. I was going to put this on my runners up because I couldn't possibly figure it would be in my three, but then I couldn't think of a third one. So this is me uh, rating my runners up for the actual list. And I just, because I knew it would come up on any thread about this or that one of you guys would probably mention it. matter of fact, it's probably in Dingus's list already. But I'm just going to say I'm kind of bummed that we never got an Aliens movie where the aliens come to Earth and we have a big apocalyptic alien infestation. You know, if we can have zombie apocalypses here, by golly, let's have an Aliens apocalypse. Uh, and I know... Wait, is this your was, number three? Yeah, yeah. Okay. And I know that there were scripts floating around and that... One of the guys who did Alien Three, uh, or the the one of the, the guy who did, uh, who's the French director that had this weird concept of a wooden planet? and it, oh, this, you know? that was
1: my number three, you bastard. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well then let's join our number threes, Kelly Wand. Let's, let's right, put them right. together. So it, it was Vincent
0: Ward. Yes, yes, that's right. And tell me, and it, we'll go ahead and explain what his concept of an alien. His concept
1: 3. was Alien's Three was going to be this. Uh, it was going to be like this medieval planet. And there was going to be this wood monastery. It's like, everything's made of fucking wood. That's the best tech they have. So it's like, yeah, you have to have to fight aliens with nothing but wood. (laughs) And they see a star in the east, and that's Ripley's escape pod. And then she's, like, the only woman on the planet. So that's kind of been the existing Aliens 3. But there was all these sequences involving, like, libraries with shafts in them with aliens running around. And the alien's, like, going to be their dragon. Yes, yes. Yeah. yes
0: so see i like that yeah Now, i i like that idea but i personally more wanted what we got a taste of in aliens versus predator 2 but it couldn't really live up to that and namely just aliens running amok in uh, on earth yeah
1: uh, that's it's like, like when important. you when you finally get the aliens on earth like yeah it's a piece of shit like okay it's high school kid it's like jason takes manhattan friday the 13th <laughs> like well he's on a boat that's going towards manhattan it's like, <laughs> That's a terrible thing to bring up, but you're absolutely Just a right. Conquer, yeah. It's like they t- they found the one way to do it wrong. Right Rise versus Predator too. Yeah, first, off, putting Predator in, into it, you're already off to a bad start. Well, because right, because the whole
0: thing is the Predators kind of contain what's going on.
1: Uh, yeah. yeah, we don't plus. Need- Both those movies suggest that there's going to be a war between one species and another species. And then at the end, if you were asked, "Okay, who won, Alien or Predator? There's no real answer, is there? No. The answer is we all lose. Oh, so it's like Battlestar Galactica board game. (laughs) Very
0: good. Uh, No, Uh, the tagline is no matter, wait, whoever wins, we lose, whatever. But no, you're right. Yeah, there should be. Someone should prevail. There was, so,
1: there's also a William Gibson one where script for Aliens 3 where Ripley's kind of written out because it was when she was like didn't want to be in the third one. Mm-hmm. And then it's more about uh what's the guy's name? The Michael character Hicks. Hicks. Yeah, it's about Hicks. It's like Hicks and, and and then there's like a thing where Newt grows up and fights. the alien. I don't know. Yeah. Like any of that would have made more sense though than what they did. It's like a wood monastery sounds freaky, but if you think about what actually does happen in aliens three, it's like not that different <laughs> it's just there's less symbolism maybe I don't I don't know. Know. Kelly I, Kelly, could
2: you fight aliens using
1: only wood uh ask me in five minutes.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I remember seeing the uh an early uh, and I don't know if this is a constructed memory I mean just remember on in the little right. art house theater you are right uh, Near my campus that that had a teaser for this and 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 it was in space, no one can hear you scream, and on Earth everyone can hear you scream, and just my body just going, oh yes
0: and,
1: Wait for what? what what movie had that
0: well they they were there were there were like teasers for an alien three that that would be set on earth like that this was something that
1: you they know, had that poster that he's talking about there. They had a, a they had a
2: trailer and and, yeah. and like the uh, there's the ale, that iconic image of the egg and it said on Earth everyone can hear you scream and everybody in the theater just went whoa and then nothing
1: happens. Then nothing. Yeah. See, you it's guess- like they, shooting it on Earth would be cheaper instead of shooting it on another planet. Okay. Guys, <laughs> what were you going to say, Tom? You had something Earth, to contribute.
0: <laughs> on Earth, there's more stuff to wreck. You can't. No, because it's, it's not another planet. It's a sound stage.
2: And there's more people to impregnate, and I mean, it would, you, you would, I can't imagine where it would go, or, you know, that it, I would hope it wouldn't be sort of a pedestrian, alien, uh, infestation kind of thriller, but it was really exciting at the time, and then we wound up on a prison column.
0: Did you see an Aliens vs. Predator 2? Where yeah. the aliens get into the, the... Aha, uh-huh, you guys both saw it, you idiots. <laughs> you did too! Um, Wait, I is did that the, not, is did that the pyramid one? No, that's one. And two, they actually get into like some town in the northwest, Colorado or something. Colorado, right? yeah. And there's teenagers. There's some it's all dark and teenagers. rainy. Yeah.
2: No, I did. But they- I think you steered me away from that one, actually.
1: And in, in Alien Resurrection, there's a line where Ron Perlman's one of those space pirates, and he's like, "Man, Earth, what a shithole! Fuck that place! God, I hate Earth! Earth fucking blows!" And then at the end, they get to Earth and they see it through the viewports I'm like oh look it's so beautiful
2: well alien resurrection was supposed to have a lot more it was supposed to be a bigger movie and it was supposed to have more dealing with earth yeah. at the end i think
1: mm-hmm.
0: and the oh, studio well. cut,
2: cut way back on it
0: i'm done with there, aliens movies by the way so, so, it's, Tom, so it's released, it's not. <laughs> apparently uh, all right, let's move on to our number twos. Dingus, by the way, did we scoop one of your uh, upcoming choices?
1: Wait, what but have... Tom, what, Dingus? Yeah, what were dingus, you going to say? going to say something. What are we
0: missing, Dingus?
2: I was going to ask how he feels about prequels because he says he's done with alien movies. But you,
0: I'll accept an alien's prequel only if it's about those uh, space jockeys. It got canned,
1: so you'll never you'll never know. Damn. And it was going to have Natalie Portman as a marine, like a space, like a tough talking marine. Would would she shave awful. her head? Uh, she wouldn't shave her head. Uh, okay, Dingus, what's your number two uh,
0: choice for a movie that you were bummed wasn't made? It's Black Swan before she dies it.
2: No, you didn't scoop me. Uh, okay. Or Kelly. Uh, th- that was a runner-up, but I... Uh, but the the last two are just films that, uh, that I wish existed that have nothing to do with any other films until you guys say, oh, that was made. It's called... Um... <laughs>
1: What about what I would say instead of Tom? <laughs> uh, all
2: right, so uh, so number two is um, uh, a really really cool solar system movie, um, and uh, with with dinosaurs if you want it, I, I don't really care, so, but not directed by Terrence Mallet. So um, so this choice is uh, a conglomeration of choices um, that I'm thinking about for my for my six year old because I'm, I'm pretty strict about the movies I take him to see, but I would really like him to be able to see because he knows unbelievable amounts of facts about the solar system and about dinosaurs. But I'm thinking mainly about the solar system because most space movies jump off to another galaxy and just show us a bunch of fake planets and fake stars or they're horror movies based on Mars. And I would like a really, really cool epic-sized um Space travel movie set in our solar system that could be rated G, but would still be incredible visual representation of our solar system. Not like that cheesy animated crap that you see when you go to a planetarium, but, but like, like going through our solar system in an epic adventure. Uh, because our solar system has an incredible amount of things. It's not just the the planets that we think that we can rattle off in our head, uh, but there's so many wonders in our solar system. Um, and I would love to be able, there, for there to be a, a film in existence that that deals with an adventure in our solar system that a six-year-old could see uh, that would be thrilling but not terrifying, of course. But just uh, visually and, and and story-wise, an amazing adventure just dealing with, again, just dealing with these planets uh, around our, our cute little son.
0: Kelly Wand, do you want to tell him about Stanley Kubrick's 2001 or shall I? I think it's 2001's
1: G-rated, too, so yeah. All right. I think uh, but it, also, it doesn't I think, stay in our solar like system. Good. I thought it was a good movie. Kelly Wend, you don't know that it doesn't stay in our solar system. Yeah, we do. In the book. that uh, That's not canon. Our solar system doesn't have paint in it that looks all trippy and psychological.
0: Digus, what about what about Outland with Sean Connery and Peter Boyle and Francis Sternhagen? That's all in our solar system. That's well, an adventure. Let me write this
2: down. No.
0: I don't think it's G-rated though, because people's heads explode, like in scanners. But they're wearing helmets, so the goo doesn't go everywhere. It's contained within the helmet. Which right,
1: Shun oh, needs needs to know these safety tips as practiced in LA. All right, that's cool. All right, got that. Excellent. Uh, hey Dingus, is your movie that you didn't title or anything? Is it um, in 3D? No.
0: But we'd sell more tickets, Dingus, or we'd make more money. Uh, you guys
2: can go to the 3D version. I'm not slapping those glasses on my kid's head, because that's rude.
0: Uh, Dingus, doesn't sunshine go to Uranus? <laughs> I thought it was where the sun doesn't shine. It's actually Venus, but sunshine does go to Venus, doesn't it, Dingus?
2: Uh, it goes by Venus.
1: There you, go. you know, uh, in Mercury, one side's always super hot, and the other side's always super cool, like the that Burger King sandwich with the lettuce. But um, that means that there's this meridian strip where it's perfect. It's, like, probably 72 degrees, but you have to, like, run constantly to stay on that one. Like, you tan perfectly.
2: Yeah, that's called, um, I believe, the solar system. I, th- I think the astronomy term for that is taint.
1: <laughs> is that the name of your movie?
2: Yep, The taint. taint.
0: So I have a few radio stations programmed in my car, and one of them is music like, for instance, where I heard this Britney Spears song. You know contemporary youth music, and I heard a commercial for—and I wish I could remember the name of it. It's something like the Trojan Fire and Ice. Do, do you guys know what this is?
2: Uh, is it a new? Uh, is it movie about Troy? Is
0: it the—is it the ribbed kind? It's a condom, and it's like one side has a little uh, like heating lubricant, and the uh-huh. other side I'm has listening. A little,
1: Go on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah the uh-huh. other
0: side has an ice lubricant. Uh, huh. And it's so you can pick, I think, whether you want to the warm. Oh,
1: right. Because it's centrifugal, right, right. Uh-huh. Maple. <laughs> Did they come in vanilla?
0: <laughs> I don't know that they're that they're flavored. I'm not sure. But I couldn't. I, anyway, that's I. Obama and the
1: flavored condoms, I remember.
0: <laughs> I think year. it's the thing about mercury just made me think exactly. of that. Uh, so, Kelly, one, could you do some research into that and let me know what you find out? Yeah, no problem. My number two movie that I'm bummed was never made. Hmm. Uh, it's actually getting made. So I think, well, you know what? I don't think it's getting made. Uh, it's constantly, there's constant buzz about it getting made, and I think the recent buzz might have you know, maybe 10% more conviction behind it than earlier buzz. I'm still not convinced, and I kind of hope it doesn't get made because I think the time has come and gone, and it's a little bit too late. Not to say I wouldn't see it and I wouldn't be happy if it were made, but I kind of feel like, you know what? Move on. Uh, and it's the, it's the Arrested Development movie. Uh, And as much as I love the show, I I just feel like a lot of time has passed. There's there's too much anticipation. It's too weirdly political with things about how Michael Cera has become a big box office hit. Um, Jason Bateman has just uh, you you know some an actor like him like he's got a lot of exposure now. And uh, you know I think of poor Will Arnett, David Cross. Um, You know whatever happened to Tony Hale? I haven't seen anything of him. So it might be weird to see. Interested Development movie, and as much as I'd love to see Mitch Hurwitz, the guy responsible for the show, do something, I kind of feel like he shouldn't shackle himself to all these different celebrities before doing something like that. Uh, so you know what? I, I'm bummed it didn't get made, and I kind of wish that it never gets made. Is that a terrible point, <laughs> <so? laughs>
2: wait, wait a minute. <laughs> These are the well, the three that, movies you wish had never been made.
0: No, no, I bummed it didn't get made, and I think its time is gone. Like, I think it's too late, and it's got too much baggage and politics involved, and and yeah. I hate to see someone like Mitch Hurwitz. You know, I, I'm like, you know what? Move on. It, I bummed it didn't get made, but just go do other things. Uh, you know, that, inflict that you is, on us other ways.
1: So that that movie was in development, but then the development got arrested. So whoa. Oh, very good, Kelly. Wand. You know That's the thing great. is, um,
2: I've heard this talked about for so many years, and I've seen uh, Jason Bateman tease about it for a long time. And even when he first started teasing about it, I just couldn't imagine what an Arrested Development movie would look like because because that show is so good with that amount of time that it takes. Um and yeah. I wish I kind of wish that it would have launched a few years later because something like Party Down has found an economy, sort of, where it can exist, and I wish Arrested Development had been able to take advantage of all these other distribution methods that like a flight of the Concords or or Party Down have, or even though those only existed for two years too. So yeah
0: and i kind of ding- dingus you mentioned the the, the time it takes is a little half hour nugget and you're right there but also part of the brilliance of arrested development is how self-referential self-refer- it is to things that if you don't if you're not watching a string of 30 minute episodes would be lost on you like all the jokes about buster losing his hand to a loose seal and a character characters i think his mother and lies Minnelli character named, being named Lucille, like all these things <laughs> that call back and all these jokes little throw references to Buster missing a hand or having a fake hand and stuff like like in a movie as a standalone experience, I don't know that that would read as well. Uh, you know, Arrested Development exists and it, it so well within that format of a season of 30-minute episodes, some of which refer to each other and all these in-jokes that carry on that you can miss, and I just don't see that working as well you know it's almost we're coming up on 10 years after it premiered it started in 2003 uh holy I cow just, i didn't realize that yeah how about that it's
1: weird isn't it uh,
0: but i just feel like the time <laughs> it's, it's, to put that into a little you know 90 minute package is kind of come and gone
1: Dingus says holy cow this stuff
0: well you know he's from iowa so that's cute i like that uh by the way what's up with uh parasha de rossi is she doing like tv or anything where is she these days?
1: Is, is that the there? chick from uh, Youth and Revolt? No, <laughs> no.
0: Uh, she is the sister. I think her name is Lindsay on the show. Did you mm. watch Arrested Development, Kelly
1: Wand? No, I don't oh, watch movies sake. that aren't developed completely. Are you serious? You didn't? You did not watch Arrested? I'm not. I ever. Series television is very difficult for me because I never remember when things are on, and I'm always asleep. They have these on DVDs now, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Too much hassle. Gotta uh, put the fucking thing in, hit play, fuck that. That's not I how TV's supposed to be. TV's supposed to be rabbit ears and getting up to change the channel like it was when all I right. was a kid.
0: Do you know who Aaliyah Shawcat is? Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Wait a minute. What first of all, that's
1: inappropriate. Second of all, Uh-oh. I don't know who she is. Oh, it just sounds familiar. Like maybe a member of the Spank Bank. I haven't put it promoted a second string yet. But...
0: She is oddly hot and it's kind of a problem because she she played uh, uh, Michael Sarah's cousin whose name was uh, maybe in the mm. the series and she was younger but she's getting older now and she's in parts as kind of like hot teenage chicks like she was in the Runaways although I don't think she had a single line in that movie by the way which was kind of weird uh, she was in a, a movie called America, uh I think about it, Iraqi immigrants um, mm. and and she's getting I, I think kind of attractive and I, that's another thing like like Michael Sarah. When you have kid actors like this, Michael Sarah, Aaliyah Shawkat, and I'm going to space on her name, but she played the daughter in, uh, in, uh, in Treatment, and she was the lesbian girlfriend in Scott Pilgrim. Uh, she had a key role in, in Arrested Development, and all these people are, are looking older, moving on to other things, and growing up. It's like having Chloe Moritz play Hit Girl. You know, there's with kids, you've got a very narrow window to hit there, and or Ellen Page playing Bolty exactly exactly kelly wand right (laughs) all right so that's my number two kelly wand what is your number two choice for a movie that you're bummed wasn't made
1: my number two choice for a movie that wasn't made was the uh farrelly brothers three stooges movie with sean penn as larry yes and benicio del toro is mo yes and jim carrey is curly but now, I, was it it's, be a, Go ahead. It was going to be three short. Well, I think they're still oh. making it, but it's not with that cast. I right. know. I'm really bummed. That's <laughs> not that cast. Come on, Sean Penn is Larry. How, I, how big? How big do you have to be to watch that?
0: <laughs> you know, uh, I, so was it was it going to be like a serious biopic thing, or they were? Just no, just,
1: no. It was going to be an anthology of three short films about them being fucking stupid and hitting each other with frying pans and shit. That would have been so awesome. Because if you think about it, Sean Penn is more of the Mo personality, but he's playing Larry. Well, just think tar- of his think of his Spicoli, right? And then it's the guy from Fear and Loathing who farts in the bathtub, but that's Mo. And then Jim Carrey's fat. I Maybe mean, Jim Carrey, he's probably the easiest swapped out, but not Kevin James. <laughs> It's too bad Sam Kennison's dead. He'd make a good Curly. Wow, no kidding. No kidding, Kelly Wand. Yeah. Was it Michael Chiklis Curly in the biopic on Fox? Uh... It was Jim Belushi. You might be thinking of that.
0: No, what I think was he? both.
1: I think, I'm, I think we're both right. I think I Michael was...
0: Chiklis did Curly and Jim Belushi. Yeah. And The Thing from Fantastic Four, just so you know. And in none of them was he funny. <laughs> Is that true? Yeah. But But he's a riot on The Shield, by the way. I like that. It has too. impeccable comic timing. I, I've, never, I, I, I've never seen the shield. Dingus is watching the shield. Are
1: you? It, it, it really picks up. Hmm, tough for him. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but it's like you, you see, if you haven't watched the shield, you go. Michael Chiklis is. He, he seems too short to be to be considered menacing or intimidating as a cop. But then on the show, it kind of. Yeah, I could I can see him getting exposed to gamma rays.
0: Man, that is a bummer. I would have liked to have seen that.
1: What I everything I just that. said? Uh, no, the well, it's still going through. I forget who it is now, but the new cast just made me go. oh, uh, It's like Zac Efron, uh, <laughs> <It's> just... <laughs> uh, Todd Lautner, Taylor Lautner. The cross. You can stop
0: guy. there, Kelly Wand. You can just stop there.
1: And is, uh, is there anyone
0: else from the Twilight, uh, Twilight movies? Bonds.
1: Yeah, uh, Robert Pattinson is Shemp, <laughs> and. and all right. Dane Cook is uh,
0: Zeppo Marx. Oh, Dingus will love that. Dingus constantly is quoting Dane Cook routines. And uh, I could James. see uh,
2: Louis C.K. playing a part in it. How about that?
0: I can't go with you there. He's always Louis C.K.
2: You don't think he could play Curly?
0: I don't think he'd want to. I wouldn't want him to. I would try to talk him off of it. Right. Talk about oh, so like at the what? ledge. Yeah, exactly. I would talk him back from doing a major motion picture deal.
1: Yeah. Donald Trump is Curly Joe. I don't know who that is. He's like the lame Curly. No, I meant Donald Trump.
0: Yeah. <laughs> because He's what the- is your number one choice for a movie that you are bummed was not made? Um. Uh, all right. So. uh I'm reluctant to do up the yackety sacks because you're going to talk about Star Wars. Well, I think
2: I'd prefer to actually at this point, because um, I, I went with more personal choices for my two and one. And seeing as you guys just made fun of number two, you're just going to make fun of number one. So what let's just say about? George Lucas for uh, the American <laughs> Graffiti remake.
0: Why do we make fun of number two? It's a perfectly cromulent choice for a guy who's raising a little kid. I would have no desire to see a G-rated 3D planet movie. But I respect your choice to want to see this and see I, it made.
1: I love the word. Wait, what
0: is it? All
2: right, my number one choice, um,
1: <laughs>
2: it's, uh, it's about my dad growing up in uh, rural Pennsylvania, actually. Um, and let me lay a little bit of the groundwork. Uh, my dad's really, really good at telling stories. Um, he refuses to write any of them down, much to my chagrin, which I've tried to make him do for a long time. But the guy remembers more things about first grade than I remember about last week. I mean, he just remembers details like you wouldn't believe. And um, he talks people's ear off about them, which uh, I really like, but which the family good-naturedly makes fun of him for being able to do. And so he grew up in central Pennsylvania. In this really small little coal mining town, uh, in a huge Catholic family, and he's he's a uh, he's the guy he's the kid right in the middle of the family. He's the middle kid. Um, and he's just got these great stories about, about, I mean, he's, he's one generation above me and he was in a one room schoolhouse in this little rural place, you know, sleeping in one bed with 17 children or however many kids are in his family. And he's just got great stories about this, this area in Pennsylvania that I think of as this depressed, sad coal mining area. But when I, I've taken other friends there or you know girlfriends they're there oh this is like courier and ives it's so beautiful here and i just think of it through the lens of his story it, while it was a great place for him to grow up and he just tells these great cinematic stories about you know the the coal strip coal mining strips and and picking through um junk keeps for metal for his dad to sell to help the family you know survive and and all the all the different things about this it's you know it's it would be sort of like a a polish goodfellas without any violence or cursing or or crime it's it would be completely boring for everybody else but the idea of being able to see these amazing stories that my dad tells that are really interesting only to me uh on the on a movie screen would be great and i and it wouldn't be good for anybody else. So uh, my number one is, is a film that I'm bummed that would never be made because it would be of only interest to me and therefore would be impossible to make as a movie.
0: Now, can you cast this, Dingus? Who would play your dad?
2: Um, well, I didn't really even think about that. I would can say- I float
0: his choice? Uh, we have someone that we represent we'd like to recommend for your project. Can I just – let me just give you a name. Are you ready? Yeah, go ahead. Chris O'Donnell. <laughs> he's available. He's cheap. He works hard. I don't know that he looks Polish enough. He's clean now. <laughs> uh, come on, give, cast your dad. Come on. What? Uh, how old is your dad in this movie?
2: Uh, well, it, it's a. It would be a, a starting out when he's a little kid and working up through his life, much the way you know. I, I say Goodfellas is kind of a joke, but the idea is you see him as a kid, and you see him growing up until he's an, you know an older man either telling these stories or just being with his family. So there, you would see him through various stages of his life. So
0: Yeah, there's going to be that bookend stuff, but none of that. Just his, as a, your dad is a young man. Who's going to play him? Who do we want? Well, I would want Tom Selleck, but he's too old now.
1: <laughs> so it's so, like Benjamin Button, but he gets older instead of younger. Yeah, that's the, that's the twist. Instead of a guy who
2: gets uh, younger, younger as he gets older, this is a weird thing. Is a kid who gets older as he grows up.
0: Hmm. Now, could your dad handle like would would there be any problem with Tom Selleck's mustache and your dad like like authenticity issues where people would admire Tom Selleck's mustache, but your father would never be able to pull something like that off? Is that is that a conflict?
2: No, because my dad emulated Tom Selleck's mustache for much of his life.
0: That's nice. Now, did you see the last movie where they make an issue out of Tom Selleck's mustache? What was what? Oh my God! Yeah, it was The Killers. Or no, no. What's the thing with Ashton Kutcher and Catherine uh, Hagel? Killers. Yeah, it is Killers, and they, they, they. There's a lot of talk about Tom Selleck's mustache in that movie. So <laughs> he's a Russian pervert, and Tom Selleck is in it, by the way. Yeah, he's actually in it, and his mustache is is addressed. The magnificence of his mustache.
1: So you're saying that Tom, Dingus is your Ashton Kutcher? Like that's what led you down this linkage path you've just connected? Uh, pass. <laughs> i see dingus's dad as ray walston more uh
0: you know what can i i i'm gonna do my number one and either one of the guys in my number one i would like to submit also in addition if chris o'donnell doesn't make it if we have to move farther down the list then the two guys that make up my number one choice i want to see if either of them would work for dingus's dad Are you guys ready for this so this is a buddy movie, and I'm bummed that it wasn't made because right now it's too late to make. These guys are too old. Um, I, you know, actually, one of them might be dead. Oh, I feel like a jerk. I don't even know this. Uh, but they're too old, and when they get parts, it tends to be as, like, wacky old men or, or doddering old men. And I, I just wish that we could go back to a time when these guys were, like, in their 40s or whatever and do a buddy cop movie. Starring these two guys, you know, they actually they could be detectives or cops, some kind of investigators, what, whatever. They, they're just, they're professional men. They're having to work together. Maybe they get along, maybe they don't. Um, but they're just these ornery middle-aged white dudes. And I want to see a buddy cop movie starring Harry Dean Stanton and Emmett M. Walsh. <laughs> And I'm talking about the time, uh, you know, like Harry Dean Stanton from Paris, Texas, or Repo Man, like that Harry Dean Stanton, or the M.M. at Walsh from Blood Simple. Uh, And I just want those two guys. I want 90 minutes of movie with those two guys together. Dingus, can either of them, after we're finished shooting that, play your, your father?
2: I think they look a little too worn for him.
0: Okay. They are Although now, warm, you know,
2: now that you pressed me on that, all of a sudden I'm thinking, and this is before he did any of the crappy movies he did later, but for the younger version, remember, uh, the way, um, uh, Guide to Your Household Saints used Sheila Booth?
0: Oh yeah, yes, yes. <laughs> I was thinking Youth and Revolt for some reason, but, uh, he wasn't in that. Yes. Yes. I do remember that. I could kind of see that if he had made like
2: this kind of movie going forward instead of 5,000 Transformers.
0: God, remember when, when we saw that? And we were like, Sheila Booth is awesome.
1: Right. What?
0: Yeah, you it's said weird. That? It's, me and Dingus, Kelly Wand. If you see Guide to Your Household Saints, not only that, that Channing Tatum dude. Oh, yeah. Um, those Yeah, I mean, people who I kind of wrinkle my nose at now were just fantastic
1: in that movie. The director friend of mine said Chao Lebouf read for him one day and I go so sum up his personality in three words he goes, used car salesman. Went,
0: mm-hmm. <laughs> that kinda of worked for that movie, by the way, Guide to Your Household Saints. So All right, there's my number one, a buddy a buddy movie with Harry Dean Stan and M. 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 Walsh. Um uh, What Bum year was
1: it? that? What year was Boondock Saints?
0: Guide to your, your household probably Saints probably six, seven years ago. Yeah. No. Nah, I don't see movies that old. It's a, it's a little indie movie. film. Not interested. 3D, 3D. Well, you could wear 3D glasses while you watch it.
1: Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I only want 3D contacts
0: or bifocals. Kelly, what is your number one choice for a movie that your bum wasn't made? This
1: one's kind of boring, but um, uh, you guys like David Lean, right? Eh, whatever. Okay. Anyway, he's uh, gonna make. <laughs> I like David Lean, but uh, you know, you, it's an endurance trial. It really? Can be. For uh, you, every David Lean movie's like that. There's no good David Lean. Lawrence Arabia bores you. Dr. No, is it's boring. fine. It's just long. I've never seen Doctor Stravago, but.
0: uh Bridge he the river Bridge river river, Quai. The, Bridge over the river quiet is pretty tightly contained. I think so. he
2: was going to make rendezvous at Rama, wasn't
1: he? Is that an Isaac Asimov thing? It's Arthur C. Clarke. Arthur C. Clarke. okay. Ingus knows this. <laughs> oh, did and he just scoop you? No. Okay. He's being a buffoon. Dingus <laughs> is like already taken around here, sir. <laughs> uh, all right, so David Lean, go ahead. All right, so, so nobody... 1970, well, here's the thing. See, we all hate CG, and it's like David Lean is, it's like if you watch David Lean, maybe you see why CG sucks. Like, that's what movies are supposed to look like without CG. Mm-hmm. Like, expect, like, $200 million for this ice plateau more. And so he was going to make this two-part movie of Mutiny on the Bounty, with, and Robert Bolt was going to write it. It was, like, the first one was going to be like, The Lawbreakers, and then the second part was going to be called The Long Arm. But then it was, like, a Terry Gilliam La- lost in La Mancha thing, and uh, lost his funding, and Robert Bolt has stroke. We'll never get to see it. And there's not going to be any more David Lean movies.
0: That does sound cool. But but fortunately we have the uh, Roger Donaldson one with Mel Gibson and Anthony Hopkins.
1: I like right? that movie. But David, David Lane, Lean was he, he was trying to describe a scene from the movie he wanted to make and he said it's like they get stuck in the ice, the ship, and then there's like this big sequence where like the sun comes up and then like melts the ice really slowly and then the ship goes forward again after like being stuck there for months. It's like oh we're taking forever to shoot. Oh, I totally want to shoot that. I would have liked that, yeah. and no CG. It's like they had, to, they had to build a real ship. They spent $4 million making this fake ship already.
0: So, oh, that would have been great. Like a Sits Geraldo kind of thing. Let's yeah. really put
1: something in. Wow, yeah. I like that. A two-part *Mutiny on the Bounty with ice. So that's my number one. Even though you guys hate David Lean because you're racist. <laughs>
0: Uh, any runners up? I had to raid my runners up to get my number
1: three, so I don't have any. Do you guys have runners I, up? I I suspect Dingus, a, a sick part of Dingus, w- wishes that David Lynch's Return of the Jedi existed because he was originally approached to direct Return of the Jedi. But I think
0: yeah. I think if you've seen Dune, you can exactly. Yourself. Was was do exactly. That's <laughs>
1: what it would have looked like, right? So there's no there's no mystique really over that concept. <laughs> but also, uh, you know how they were making. Uh, Movies out of every TV show from the '60s, like throughout. The 90s. So I'm I'm kind of bummed they never made a Gilligan's Island knockoff. Like I would have wanted to see. Well, that's what that's that's what Lost was. Uh, wait, Mr. Howell was Boone. Uh, Dingus, did you have any runners up? I guess Kate was Marianne.
2: I wish we had. Um, I mean this is I think impossible i mean united ninety three i think does a brilliant job of making a nine eleven movie without showing nine eleven basically um but I kind of had this wish that we could see a a nine eleven movie as as a reconstruction of the events like in a thriller, but I don't want to see that and I'm, I think it would be macabre obviously um but i can't deny that the the fact that in my imagination the the idea the horror of that real life event uh, i don't i i don't know i feel weird about even talking about it
0: i see i i feel weird about you talking about it too but i want to know what brought that on just thinking about how good united 93 is
2: well i was thinking about the way um we don't necessarily have a 9/11 movie that could do that, or an Iraq. I think we're too close to it to be able to show those types of things. But we have recreations of, say, the storming of the beach at Normandy, which is no different than showing planes going into the towers in a recreation that we would see, and and so it, we're clearly too close to that. And I think that by the time somebody makes that kind of movie in the, in the way that uh, that you know, The Thin Red Line was made, that is is sort of a a thoughtful representation that still shows the realities of the war on that day, I think probably it'll be too late for me to see it. And that's fine, but I can't deny that there's a sort of a morbid curiosity about the things that happened on that day and how, how everything came together. And that's, I think why United 93 works so well, because you're, You know, we woke up on that day and saw saw all of those images in the way that we saw them, and we're never going to see, I don't think, a film that represents them in a way that is vivid. And so it's it's just a weird train of thought. Uh,
0: I like the train of thought, but I I think an important distinction should be made between talking about like Normandy, uh, because that's a well established uh, mode of like human. Fucking things up, you know. War is something that we've always been fascinated by, and it's something that has always existed. It's always it's a facet of how nations interact, uh, and and there, there there are tricky issues about portraying war when the war is still happening or when you're close to it. But I think a terrorist attack that impacts people's lives and so many of them so directly, um, I, I I think that's very different i think a better analogy even though this is technically more of a wartime act i don't think of 9-11 as a a wartime act this idea of a war on terror and i you'd probably agree with me on this thing is 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 kind of a boondoggle but but i think a closer analog might be and i don't know the answer to this but are there japanese movies about the bombing of of hiroshima and nagasaki and i don't know the answer to that i I think that's sort of
1: yeah it's uh, called godzilla
0: well, you know what? You're, you're kind of joking, Kelly Wan. Actually Actually, and I think we have movies about 9-11 that skirt around the issue. Just like Phase 7 that we talked about, a lot of Phase 7 is, is you know, what happens when you find out something terrible has happened. You know, what are you doing when that happens and how do you react? So I think there are a lot of movies that are about 9-11 that just aren't directly about it. Um, so yeah. you're right about Godzilla there, Kelly Wan. But I don't know if there are Japanese movies about, you know, what was it, the August 14th and – Eighteenth in nineteen forty six five uh, whatever. Um, in a similar vein, I, I
2: also kind of wish that we had an American um, an American made version of the Bush administration that is that could be an analog to In the Loop that that has that deft a hand at <laughs> dealing with the Iraq War in the way that In the Loop deals with it uh from a different sensibility.
0: Because W certainly doesn't qualify, unfortunately. No. <laughs> no, but in but the loop, Lidl- Lidl- I think qualifies
1: as but an American one. A little.
2: I don't think so. I think it's from a different point of view.
1: No, no. I, I know what you're saying. but
2: in so the Those, Lidl- are, those w- are the only two things. The, the 9-11 right. and the in the loop, Lidl- the American sort of loop. Right. Kind of
1: I guess I'm picturing that movie in in my head right now, and I'm like, nah, not as good as in the loop. Like I'm already reviewing the movie you just pitched. <laughs> is it, I don't, I, no, well, I don't this know. Was, uh, this isn't what I was hoping for.
2: I don't know that we can carry it off in that sense because the sensibility of in the loop is so is so specific and nails such a great tone. I don't know that no. that we could carry that off without making it a cartoon. I
0: well, I think in the loop is very much like uh kubrick you know kubrick was, was very british I, I presume in the loop is very much a very astute observer looking at america and thinking what the hell are you thinking like that is so there's this sense of incredulity about both dr strangelove and in the loop that i think comes from that british perspective so i'm not sure i i mean to get that kind of like self-awareness dingus yeah, it's not an American thing. <laughs> well, it's not an American thing unless you do like like Errol Morris's uh, Fog of War with Robert McFarlane talking. I, I mean, I think that's what it's going to take. You know, that would be the American perspective on this: is you know, get one of these guys who uh, acquires age and wisdom and wants to talk about it, uh, but to to capture just the the incredulity of of how stupid and silly all that was. You know, it, do you need a foreigner's perspective? I don't know. Like when you look at.
1: Uh, thank God we've worked out all those kinks since. Uh, <laughs> thank God America is no longer worthy of incredulity. Uh, Kelly, oh, do you have any runners up? Oh, those were mine.
0: All right. So, uh, Dingus, can you now talk us over to what 3x3
1: will be doing next week? Hmm. Oh, and Bill and Ted three, but that's getting made, sir. <laughs> yes.
2: Uh, yes, indeed, I can. Uh, this is pretty simple. Um, the three way three for next week is your three favorite tears in a movie, um, and this is uh, it's not just crying, but but specifically your favorite tears. So th- we saw a movie uh, a few weeks ago that that reminded me that I had this, and I'm gonna I'm going to take one off the off the table because because this is the one that originally made me start the list a while ago, many, many, many months ago. And there's a moment in um, a little film called uh, Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers, (laughs) where uh, Grima Wormtongue is standing on this, what is it? I think it's a tower. And he's standing next to his pal. Uh, Saruman. And they're watching the hordes of soldiers that they've created go off to war. And for some reason that I can't quite understand and have never totally understood or interpreted, uh, Grima Wormtongue uh, stands there and one tear just runs down his face as he watches these tens of thousands of newly made soldiers go off to war uh to to you know with the purpose of wiping out mankind essentially in middle earth and and I just remember seeing two towers for the first time and watching the actor let a tear go there, uh, which maybe it's a trick he uses a lot, maybe it's not i don't really know, but I remember thinking why did why is why is that character crying there why is he why is there a tear going down his cheek? why is he not wiping it off what's going on uh and i I find that fascinating I find it fascinating when actors uh allow themselves to have a tear without like full out bawling. They don't wipe it away or they do wipe it away. They try to keep from crying or they don't. So uh, so this is just, you know, in the in the tradition of that weird sort of why is he crying there? Um, your favorite tears in scenes.
0: Kelly, Wan, did you notice Dingus's subtle racism in that comment? Which one? Just now. More he specific. About, he was talking about all these armies going off to conquer mankind. I noticed that he doesn't care one whit for elf kind or dwarf kind.
2: Yeah, that's true. Oh, I'm sorry, I should have said Klingon.
0: Women. <laughs> mm. uh, all right, so that'll be our three by three next week. Uh
1: Kelly Wan, do you have any questions? Wait, so does he mean C G tiers? <laughs> uh, we'll find out, won't we? What about T I R tiers? Like, like a wedding cake. Because minus, minus Tirith was like a wedding cake. One of
0: my favorite tiers is the middle layer of the wedding cake in Bridesmaids. I'm going to just – it's a teaser for you right there. That's one I might be picking. Also, uh, all
1: right. Oh,
0: yeah. What else, Kelly Wand?
1: Nothing, nothing, no, no.
0: Okay. <laughs> uh, join us next week for uh, Dingus's three-by-three three of our favorite tiers. Kelly Wand and I will be participating. Uh, we'll also be seeing Crazy Stupid Love. No, we won't. <laughs> Shut up. So, what, what is your deal? That might be good. You don't know. No
1: more Steve Carell movies.
0: It's not or, a Steve Carell movie. It's a movie by the writers of Bad Santa. And I know you liked Bad Santa. We're not seeing... Wait, 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 wait. You're joking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, next week we will be seeing uh, Captain America. Yay! Yeah. Finally a superhero movie. It's been I know. so long. God, that, God, that's not
2: the title. That's not the title, Tom.
0: What is the title? The Captain America? America's
1: first Avenger.
0: Oh, right? America's first Avenger, the Captain America.
1: He's avenging something. I don't know what exactly. Yeah, like, what are they mad about? What are they avenging? Yeah, because Spider Man's avenging Uncle Ben, but Steve Rogers doesn't even have. Oh, yeah. Steve Rogers, that's a spoiler. Yeah, well, Tom, well, do you know, know what she... color the skull is of Captain America's arch nemesis? The Crimson Skull. Horrible. <laughs>
0: yes, but what color is it?
1: Yeah, what color? I didn't want your foo for all terms. Well, we'll find out, won't we? No, we won't. <laughs> <laughs> wow. All I mean, right. maybe. I don't know. I probably shouldn't.
0: All right, so join us next week. We will not be seeing Crazy Stupid Love. We'll be seeing that the week after. Next week, we will be seeing Captain America, the, the Captain America, the world's Avengers, the first Avenger of the world. Um, and we'll also be doing a three-by-three three of our favorite tiers. I am Tom Chick. I am joined by Christian Mitt. Oh, God, I don't know. I just can't. I have no idea how to say this. Dingus, what is this?
2: Uh, it is Christian Murawski.
1: Mm, I don't think so. And Kelly Wand. Body switch movie, uh, Jesus and Muhammad.
2: La
0: la 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 When I was an Indian Cultures were not Get my
1: way, my way, when I'm here. This podcast was brought to you.
0: Very nice. Now, people are going to think we cut you off.